back in the saddle again. Hey, uh, good evening uh, and welcome back. Tonight, we're going to be talking to Michael Fall from Rabbit's Foot Meadery here in California and a pumpkin pie project. We'll run the recipe by you and get your input. Ask Oscar talks about Melomel's plus results submitted by Got Mead member David Webb from the Texas Mead Fest held in New Braunfels, Texas a couple of weeks ago. All that and more tonight on Got Mead Live. So get your glass of mead. Come on back. We'll see you here in just a minute. And uh, back in the saddle again, guys. Yeah, totally. It's been what? Yeah, well, two weeks for well, me, two weeks. but <laughs> yeah, but one week for you guys. So, just exactly what sort of yeah. shenanigans did you get up to while I was gone? <laughs> 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 well, we had. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of those nights from hell. Uh, you know, <laughs> radio show uh. from hell. Uh, had a problem getting uh, AJ connected up, lost the first 30 oh, yeah. minutes. But, uh, we had technical difficulties all over the place. It was great. <laughs> but we did have a good time. So, uh, <laughs> Well, that's good. Yeah, it's either radio gods are warning you. Don't get too, uh, you know, carried yeah, away. Or, or, uh, right. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and since that time, we've uh, upgraded some equipment here at the studio. So I have no idea what this is going to sound like until we are all done and I'm able to listen to the replay later on tonight. But uh, that being said, uh, a couple of shout outs I want to get out of the way here before we get started. Uh, one to Charlotte Noble. She posted a link to a PDF file of a really great looking mead log that you can keep in a binder. Uh, you can check the mead making equipment at the gotme.com forum. Uh, she was kind enough to put it in there today. Also to uh, Ralph and James out of Simi Valley Homebrew, located at 4352 Eileen Street in Simi Valley, California. I went out there recently and purchased uh, a few things. Always like to give them a shout out. And then uh, a big shout out to Michael Fairbrother at Moonlight Meadery. I was looking through the forums today, AJ and Vicky, and there was a request uh, for some information on how best to clone Moonlight Meadery's last apple, apparently, which is a limited run uh, edition of this fantastic sounding mead. And uh, lo and behold, Michael Fairbrother himself responded back to the, uh, the uh, uh, forum and put the recipe right there for everybody to get to. So I Isn't thought that, that nice was nice of him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty kind. But, uh, uh He's another one of those ones. There's there's quite a few professional mead makers out there because they were all us at one point, mm-hmm. you know, sure. and uh, they don't have a problem with paying it forward. You know, I mean, they want to see the industry go forward. They want to see more people making and drinking mead. So, you well, know, it's good for everyone. Yeah. 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 I thought that was uh, uh, pretty cool uh, of him to do that. Uh what are we drinking? Uh, I am drinking Wild Blossom Chocolate Cherry Honey Buzz, which is pretty damned amazing. I'm working on the bottle I opened a few weeks ago, and it's been sitting in the fridge waiting for me to finish it. So we're going to see if it can make it go away tonight so it doesn't keep tempting me. <laughs> chocolate Cherry. Does it take, can you taste the chocolate? I mean, it's like. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Chocolate it's, cherry candy. Chocolate covered cherry mead. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. Oh I was like, I was like, woohoo! Time yet. Sounds, <laughs> sounds fantastic. AJ, hey, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking one of my Chateau Chevette. Uh, it's called Cold Ethel because I'll name all my beers after Alice Cooper, Cooper songs. It's a lemon tea braggot that uh, I made and I made for the summer and managed to bottle just in time for fall. But I got the hops just right, so I'm happy with it. I have got to get on the road and come to Canada. Uh, some of the things that you have uh, been drinking here lately on the show, I just got to get up there. <laughs> oh, you should try my jalapeno uh, wine. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, I'm drinking, uh, this is a mead from Redstone Meadery. This is, uh, it, it really doesn't have a name. It just says honey wine with Pinot Noir concentrate. Um, and it tastes kind of like a rosé. Uh, it, it's got hmm. some sweetness to it, but it's also got that grapey wine taste uh, to it that I, I kind of enjoy. Uh, this is something that I would, uh, you know, have a glass of, you know, say after dinner. Uh, and if I still smoked, uh, maybe a nice cigar. So uh, it's a pretty cool tasting uh, mead. Yeah, it's nice. Um, just a sidebar real quick here. Um, I just got pinged that Kuda uh, um, Oh, what the heck is his real name? Hamish. Hamish is uh, on, and he says he can't. He says he's working on TuneIn, but it's not working. We'll have to check that out, JD. It may not be working on the normal player from SoundCloud. Yeah, at, uh, well, not on SoundCloud. Uh, you should be able to get it from the GotMe.com website. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, I think where he was. Um, you know, I wonder if it did that little code thingy that it's done to me before. That, that might be. Uh, I know we. Uh, we I know we are live because we got a few listeners uh, tuning in already. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, one person just tried to call, but uh, sit tight with the phone calls. I promise we'll get to you here just a little bit later on. Um, we uh, the, the website is alive, and uh, Vicky's done a tremendous job. It's up and running. Uh, the new new face. The uh, paint uh, is almost dry. Uh, the wallpaper's up. New curtains. <laughs> yeah, but I still got to varnish the floors and buy new furniture. So we're working <laughs> yeah. at it. You know. Yeah. So. so okay. Uh, cool. Thank you, Hamish. Um, Hamish just said yes. I was on Got Mead. Refresh work now. He checked. Sorry for scaring us. Thank awesome. you, because I was like frantically going into change code, Hamish. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Hamish. Uh, I'm glad you could join the show here tonight. But uh, again, uh, the new website is up. Uh, it looks refreshing. And then, of course, I always like to plug the forum. Uh, get your patron membership in. 25 bucks uh, right now. Uh, that gets you uh, access for a year to the uh, patron side. And, and let me tell you, if you think Ask Oscar is good, if you really want, here's the, here's the other thing too. Uh, you know, I've been learning to do this mead. I've been paying attention to Ask Oscar. Of course, uh, you know, I've had an opportunity to talk to him on the phone uh, and he's helping me with a traditional that I have going. And this traditional came right from the patron side of the form. It's one of his recipes. It's a, an award-winning, uh, medal-winning uh, recipe. And this is what the 25 bucks a year gets you. Uh, so 
uh, I encourage you to, uh, you know, to get your fees in and get to, get that access. And at 25 bucks, uh, it helps pay for all the server costs and the upkeep and the whole nine yards because this ain't free, Bubba. <laughs> yeah. I mean? yeah, I just got my <laughs> monthly bill for the radio show stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah and I mean, I, I've actually had people go, well, you know, that seems like a lot of money. But guys, that's like uh, five caramel macchiatos at five bucks. I mean, Starbucks. So, um, <laughs> you know, that's <hello, laughs> chump change for what you get. Just one of those recipes is worth that because people put a lot of time and effort into those. And I'm here to tell you, um, there's some really amazing recipes. Some of those recipes have gone on to be not just award-winning, but award-winning commercial needs that are available in multiple states. So you're getting good stuff there. And there's more coming as I continue to redecorate uh, and add functionality to the new site. So You bet. Facebook simply got mead, and uh, while you're there, uh, look up the uh, that mead group. Uh, a lot of activity there. I've been participating in that over the last few days. Twitter at Got Mead Now, and then uh, ask Oscar. Submit your questions. Just simply go to the GotMead.com website. You'll sign. You'll, you'll see the link up there uh, for the uh, Got Mead. I believe it's listed under the radio show, if I'm not mistaken. It is. Yeah, it's on the menu when you mouse over Got Mead Live. It's right there in the drop down. I think I've got it linked on the page as well. So, um, and, pretty pretty sure I do. And real quick, get your pencil and paper out. Here's the number: eight one eight. Nine two one four six eight zero. Put that in a special place because that number never changes. Again, the call in number tonight eight one eight nine two one four six eight zero. And uh, of course, the show links uh, gotme.com. Uh, the live player is right there on the radio site. Or if you're mobile, you can go to the TuneIn Radio TuneIn.com. Get the mobile app. Just search Got Me Live. It'll pop right on up. Replays are always available at gotme.com, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. We're just getting that show way out there, trying to get as many people listening uh, as we can and get them over to the gotme.com website. So uh, we got a lot more coming up. We're going to step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, Michael Fall from... Rabbit's foot. Uh, rabbit's foot. Yeah. Yeah, I just lost my place. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's we'll be okay, back. JD, we understand. <laughs> we'll be Mead, located in the heart of North Carolina, specializes in wine-style meads of varying sweetness level. With a menu that usually includes 16 different flavors and featuring local North Carolina honey, there's always something new to try. Whether you like a drier mead that mimics a red or white wine or something sweeter with fruit or herbs, Starlight Mead has got you covered. Come in for a tasting. Starlight Mead Artisan Winery and Tasting Room is located at 480 Hillsboro Street, Suite 1000, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, at Chatham Mills. This historic label mill complex is located just north of downtown Pittsburgh on 15501, two miles south of Highway 64 Bypass, or order a bottle from vinoshipper.com. Either way, Starlight Mead hopes to surprise and delight you.
homebrewtalk.com, your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home. Their forum covers recipes, brewing equipment, and help from member brewers. If you picked up your equipment today, you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com. Sign up today for as little as $4 a month and become a supporting member. Known for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K.com. And we are back live. And, uh, hey, I want to get this out real quick. Established in Sunnyvale, California in 1995, Rabbit's Foot Meadery is one of the largest and oldest continuously operating meaderies, producing an award-winning variety of mead and its variants. Rabbit's Foot Meadery produces the oldest barrel-aged mead in America, currently at 16 years, and has been served in the finest restaurants, such as the famous The French Laundry. Rabbit's Foot Meadery has been crafting other award-winning products, including their Red Branch Cider Company brand of apple ciders and Red Branch Brewing Company branded braggots. Previously available in uh, previously available in over 30 states, the company pulled back its distribu- distribution for uh, 2005 to the West Coast, where their products are available for purchase in the states of California, Oregon, Washington. Arizona, Hawaii, and Nevada, with over 95 national and international awards, including multiple consecutive golds, Rabbit's Foot Meadery is perhaps the most award-winning meadery in the country. And Vicki, we are very proud to have Michael Fall with us tonight. Indeed we are. Um, Mike and I go back a long ways, back to the days of the uh, old Mead Lovers Digest, and we were both just a couple of IT geeks dinking around with this mead thing. But uh, it's been a hell of a lot of fun watching you grow the place. Are you still distributed in um, Ireland as well? I remember you said said that you were going to be over there. Yeah, we, we, we sure are. We had uh, you know, a small distributor in Ireland that carries us mostly in the Dublin area, but every 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 couple of months they call up and pick up some more stuff and we ship it over to them, you know, happily selling the probably the the only mead in Ireland. Yeah, the only real mead in Ireland, yes, definitely. At least that I've been yeah, able yeah. to find. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in case you guys don't know, Mike is actually Irish and was born in Ireland. And uh, you what, came over when you were a teenager, didn't you, Mike? Yeah, I came over when I was 18 and actually joined the, the U.S. military and spent six years flying around the North Atlantic chasing Russian submarines. Always a lot of fun. Somebody's oh, yeah. got to do it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a dirty job, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Somebody has to do it. Did, yeah, that's did you, right. Did you have any luck? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was back in the, the good old days when there were lots of them uh, floating or floating yeah. around the ocean, mostly. Some of them, sometimes they got under the water. Yeah. <laughs> we hide with pride. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, wait, that's our motto. <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's Mike's been Mike's been a leader in the industry and also an influencer for a lot of people. 
who are looking to get into it. And that's one of the things that I've always, you know, I mean, Mike, you've always been really involved in the community, even when you got buried. And I think it's great that you've kept that up. Not everybody is able to do that. And I think it's really cool that you are because that's what these new guys need, you know? Well, I, I, I try to multitask and, and I, I don't sleep much. So when I'm, when I'm not busy making more stuff or out trying to sell it, I'm usually doing other things just online. I mean, like you said, we, we kind of go back a long way back to that meat digest where you know, everybody was kind of just, you know, hacking around trying to figure out what was what need was and how to make it and how to make it better. Yeah. But getting back and helping people is probably one of the, one of the biggest things that I like to do. Yeah, and I think that's great. There's there's a number of people that are doing that now and it's nice to see. So hopefully we can keep that tradition going. But um so okay, you've been open 20 years, right? Yeah, we, we actually got licensed in, in 1995. So in, in May of 95, we received our federal permit from what was then the ATF. And that's when they had the gun-toting agents come in to visit you, you know, to give you what, your, 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 run, your rundown to find out if you're actually going to be a suitable person in order to uh, be trusted with their tax money. Then with their shiny black and, boots and everything. Yeah, pretty much. And, <laughs> yeah. and then when the, when, the, when the ATF agent came in, he looked around inside my garage. He looked at my two 30-gallon stainless fermenters and exclaimed that I was probably going to be the smallest winery in the United States. <laughs> so, you know, Gotta start somewhere. Weeks, <laughs> uh, well, a couple of weeks later, we, we got the permit in the mail and we actually started producing product. And then, you know, we were, we were probably doing 200 gallons a year in the garage at home just for fun anyway. And mm-hmm. most of that we were giving away to people, right? Just give to friends. And then, you know, people kept asking if they could buy it and I had to figure out a way to, to sell it. And that process took six months to get all that permitting through. But once we did, we went from, well, that probably 200 gallons a year to, you know, three, four, 500 cases a year, just kind of in the garage. And then uh, ultimately the, the, the local municipality kind of kicked us out of the garage and told us we had to find a, a bigger commercial space. And, and their, their reason was that you can't have more than a hundred cubic feet of storage in a home-based business. Well, I mean, okay. the two tanks probably that much. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like the, the, the trunk of my station wagon is about yeah, I've that. I've got closets yeah. bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember right, the, then, trunk then, of, the trunk of my Volkswagen is 108 cubic inches. Uh, <laughs> and and, and, and that, that particular timing was, was kind of coincidental with the whole sort of dot-com implosion, right? So things just started happening then and you know, people were losing, left and, you know, losing money left and right. And so we kind of looked at the bigger picture ourselves and said, well, heck, let's just go out and, and do it properly. So we spent a, you know, quite a bit of money and bought some, you know, real commercial grade equipment. Right. So the equivalent in the brewing industry of, you know, 15 barrel tanks. And we started up in a small 1200 square foot space. And we stayed there for about well, probably another four or five years. And then after that, we, we kind of moved out into, into an even bigger space down the street. And then a year and a half after that, we were kind of outgrowing that space already. So then we moved into a 5,000 square foot space. And then last summer, we just purchased the, the entire building. So it's 10,000 square foot building and we have some, lots of extra room to grow in there. That's sweet. What was the uh, defining moment that convinced you that, uh, to open a metery, Michael? Was there a particular I mean, you talk about the 200 gallons and going to the, you know, 200 cases. 
But was there a, a particular recipe or something or something to, that uh, just stood out that uh, convinced you that you needed to open a meadery? Well, well, first off, I needed to do something because I was spending an inordinate amount of money, you know, making meat and giving it away. So I, I figured that if, if people were drinking that much of it, giving it to them, they might be willing to pay for it, right? So we kind of looked at the, you know, the the simple economics of it. How much does it cost to make? How much could I possibly sell it for? And could I make some money doing it in order to run, you know, business? And, and that's kind of really where we started. We weren't in it to make millions and millions of dollars. Like the goal was basically make a product that people like, and if they like it and continue buying it, then I'll continue making it and we'll, we'll kind of grow and expand that particular business. And, and really, the, the, you know, the reason I started making meat in the first place was because we couldn't find any meat here in the U.S., so we had to make it ourselves, right? And Vicky will attest to that as well. Mm-hmm. Right? But, but the real sort of commercial side of it was when we knew that we were doing it in our garage and we were actually making enough money to pay for it itself, we thought that, you know what? If we just expand it a little bit more, we can we can expand our own footprint in sales locally and then grow it organically and let's see what happens then. Right? So we can kind of, you know, we got our feet wet in the garage really is what it was. Right? And then once we realized that, you know what, there's actually a viable business here, let's go ahead and really do it. Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't think there was a specific recipe. I mean, we have, I mean, we had our kind of, our basic meads, right? So traditional sweet mead, we had a dry mead, we had a kind of a pear uh, spiced mead. And then we had the, the thing that we thought was our flagship product, which was the, you know, the mead of poetry. That's an 18% alcohol pear and spice methaglin. That's the one that's aged currently 16 years in a barrel. We kind of put together a plan saying, this is the one that people really like the most of all of the sort of standard types of mead that we make. And if people are willing to pay for for it, you know, today, what would they be willing to pay for it in the future? So you go from basically, you know, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a ten-year-old, fifteen-year-old, right, in the barrel, and you keep making some behind it every year, so you can kind of increase the stockpile, but keep, but still keep it kind of limited in in, in the volume. Can can you charge sort of these premium prices that other you know, aged types of products get. And it was, like I said, after probably three to five years of doing that, people willing to pay a premium price for those products that we kind of put the business plan together really based around that one product at that particular time, right? So can I, can I get a product in the barrel so it's in the barrel for 20 years and then sell it for $250 for a 375 mil bottle? So, so far we're, we're kind of on our, on our, on our track for the original business plan for that particular product. But you know, on the way things happen, right? You, you run into other products that customers decide are, are more popular. Right. And so you kind of have to kind of you know, make different products to meet the demand of, of those customers. You can't just say, well, I've only got this one product, especially when customers have already found out about something else that you make. Yeah. Well, it was it was fun seeing your. Uh, I think it's one of your more recent launches, the Odin that you had at the Mazer Cup this spring. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> that was that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a surprise. And it turns you know it turns out we we couldn't figure out what type of honey that was originally ourselves 
and then we, we we tasted it with a bunch of other beekeepers. We tasted it with a bunch of other mead makers, and the consensus is is that it was honeydew, right? Okay. So I'm I'm in the market for more honeydew because I've only got one barrel of the original 300 gallon batch left, and I just released some of it the other day, and it's virtually all gone again. I guess I better bring bring my knee pads to do some groveling if I want a bottle when I come yeah, out next yeah. month. Huh? <laughs> please, please, can I have some more? All I got was that half bottle that was left with, after the Mazer Cup. Yeah. And once it's open, you got to drink it. You know, I mean, it wasn't near as good once it had been opened as it was when we first opened it. So, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm kind of hoping yeah. I can lay my hands on some things to send back home when I'm out next month. Okay, and we'll certainly set you up with something. Yeah, I've got. Yeah, I mean, so so it's it's I think it's you know it's things like that, right? So sometimes they're accidents, right? And if the accident is good, then guess what? I'm gonna I'm gonna use that sort of you know to my advantage as a business person. Yeah. And then and then of course there's there's always those cases where you have accidents where things go bad, you know. And I'm I'm a stickler for you know quality control. If, if something goes wrong in, in my any of my batches, I I love to find out what it was. And then get rid of, get here, just dump it. It's gone. Yeah. But I, I want to know what it was that caused the problem to begin with, so it never happens again. Oh or yeah. Or if a customer calls me up and says, "Hey, Mike, I had a problem with this one particular need. You know, I'm going to do a bend over backwards to make sure that you're taken care of." I got a question for you, and it was something I was just thinking about the other day, and I thought oh, I'm going to have to check in with him about that. Whatever happened with the Great Ghost Pepper experiment? The Great Ghost Pepper experiment was a great experiment, and it was awesome. And uh, everybody that's tried it loved it. So we basically, with, with that, was we, we took some ghost peppers, so fresh ghost pepper, and dropped one ghost pepper into each 375-milliliter bottle of our Malia, which is our kind of one of our most award-winning, really sweet dessert wine-style meads. And what ended up happening was, after a month, it was pretty hot. Yeah. <laughs> after six months, after six months, it was really, really hot. So the heat, basically, you, you take a sip, you can feel it instantaneously. The sweetness from that really you know, nine percent residual sugar need kind of washes the heat away, but it lingered for about an hour. Yeah, and you're you're you're, so, you're under described. <laughs> you gave me a sip of that at uh, when we were at UC Davis and. Um, I, I just touched my tongue to it and it was like having my face flayed off with burning knives. I mean, it was, it was like, ah, we just opened a couple of bottles. We just opened a few bottles of, of it at one year old just last week. And it's pretty dang hot. But I have one, this, this, this one lady who loves spicy food. She just couldn't get enough of it. She just kept sipping it and sipping it and sipping it and sipping it. All day long. I mean, it's it's uh, hot. You know, yeah, there's, it's, there's, yeah. There's a reason. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason we call it Hades. You know. <laughs> yeah, hot with a capital H and flames all around. Um, it. Oh my God, that stuff was amazingly hot. I mean, <laughs> I love Malia, but I am not a pepperhead, so I like I like. <laughs> I like capsicum elves, but I like them when yep. they're not quite as blatant as that one is. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, we, no, we, 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 were, we were just given you know, a couple hundred of these peppers. Just the guy came over and he said, hey, Mike, you know, can't use these in our store because no, nobody will ever buy them. Would you like them? I'm like, yes, I'll, I'll take them off your hands and I will make something with them and we'll see how it comes out. 
Any uh, any recipes, Mike, that you made that you just thought maybe we shouldn't have made this at all? Oh, yeah, there's, there's lots of them. I mean, I've made several braggots that just didn't come out the way that I thought they were going to come out. And it's it's, it's usually from you know overcooking certain types of grains, mostly the, sort of the, the darker grains. In you know in, in beers that you might want to have lighter color or red color, right? maybe you just use a 500 SRM grain instead of a 300 SRM grain. You might have even used less of it, thinking that you could get kind of similar color and flavors out of them. But you know, sometimes things happen, you know. Yeah. And so I've, you kind of tweak those recipes and try not to repeat them a second time. There's other, a- there's other sort of just standard meads that I've made. You know, I've tried other fruits. You know, mostly, uh, you know, like any any of the sticky fruits, like banana, kind of don't really work for me in meads. I, just, I don't know what it is, but they they usually turn dark, rancid, and uh, and, and nasty. <laughs> I've had so a I, couple I of. Uh, oh, go ahead, finish. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that I try to stay away from those types of fruits and, and lean more towards berries. And even even strawberry, I'm, I'm leery of because every batch of strawberry mead that I've ever made has always come out with this lovely. Sort of as a new mead maker, I've had quite a few that uh, I'm trying to sell to the government for rocket fuel, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have, a, I mean, we have a couple of, you know, of, of things that we make periodically. I mean, we've been doing it long enough now. I don't really, I mean, I've got the recipes, they're all written down and, and, and the other staff members when they're making things, they can look at the recipes and refer to those when they're making them. I, mean, I, I kind of know them by heart. I really don't have to look at them anymore. I mean, I didn't look at you know nutrient additions anymore because I've got pretty much everything memorized. But sometimes, if somebody mislabels something, or if I've mislabeled something and put it in the wrong jar, you might end up doing something that you didn't really mean to. So, in, in some cases, you end up with these, like you said, higher alcohol jet fuels, and and really the only thing you can do with those is just tuck them away, stick them in a barrel for five or six years, and, and pray. Yeah. And I've seen those turn around. I mean, my my very first mead was rocket fuel, and I stuck it in. It was in a three gallon glass carboy. I covered uh, covered the top with saran wrap, rubber banded it down real good, threw it in the basement, and buried it under a pile of stuff, and tried to forget it was there because I was ashamed that I'd screwed it up so bad. And yep. eventually, at some point, the mead gods came along and blessed it. You know, and I went in to taste it one day because I accidentally uncovered it and had forgotten it was there. That's, that's it was exactly what happened the to us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's exactly what happened to us. And, and, and that's sort of the, the reason that we make the meat of poetry was a basically an accidental discovery. Right. So we, you know, I was in the garage making stuff. And this is before we were actually commercially licensed. I was, I was making these, you know, sort of higher alcohol, stronger, stronger meads. You know, it was kind of always the goal when in, in my younger mead making days was to see how high of an alcohol mead I can make, right? I think we so, all did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but see, so luckily I had, a, I had the fortune, the good fortune to actually, you know, do something right without knowing that I was doing it. And that was, I, I made this one batch. It was really high in alcohol. It was the pear methaglin that was soon to turn into be the meat of poetry. I had dumped it in the barrel. So I had a small little wooden barrel that I filled up with it and I had set it aside and we moved house and part of the moving process moved the barrel somewhere. And when we moved into the new house, I didn't know where it was. I didn't even think about it and I didn't remember it. So we went from 1989 
to basically 1995 when the barrel was rediscovered by my brother. Right? He comes walking in, into the, out of the garage every night with a little pitcher, and he's got this liquid in it, and he's pouring it into his wine glass, and he's drinking it. And I'm asking him, what, what the heck is that? He said, that's mead from the garage. I said, from where? He said, from the wooden barrel. I, said, I told him, I said, there's no wooden barrel in the garage. He said, oh, yeah, there is. Yeah, I'll show you. So we went out, we took a look at it, and sure enough, there was the barrel that we had filled six years ago, and it was brilliant. Oh my gosh! So I thought to myself, I said, you know what? I, I even I even have the recipe written down. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm I'm very meticulous when it comes to writing things down, and that's probably really important, especially when you make things that you don't think are good enough today, but they turn out really good. You want to be able to re, you know re- replicate that later. Yeah. So I dug up the recipe. I said, well, the heck, I'm going to make more of this, and that's kind of the product that we made. That kind of, I mean, you know, back back to your question, JD was a, you know. Was there a particular product? This may have been it, right? Because it was kind oh. of the impetus for, if I could make this an agent for 10 years, how good would it be? So now we have it. We have 16. Nice. So now I'm going to start saving my pennies for, for a bottle of that. That'll be cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, it's only a hundred bucks, but you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, I mean, I've paid, I've paid a hundred bucks for mead before. I mean, there are meads out there that are worth that. I mean, we, we you know, Ken's uh, heart of darkness easily goes for oh, yeah. that. So if, yeah, if, no if, problem. If you can get it. If you can get it. Yeah. I managed to get my hands on a yeah. bottle a couple of years ago and it's safely ensconced in a, in a, in its own row in the, in the wine rack in the basement. So yeah. yeah well, but, I have a, um, my, my problem is, Everything that goes in my wine rack comes out of my wine rack. <laughs> well, most of the stuff does, but I have way more mead in the rack than the two of us can drink. So it huh. comes out three, four bottles at a time when I'm going to visit somebody and I take mead with me to share. So, you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it constantly is getting replenished by, you know, things I find and stuff I like and whatnot. Um, we're getting ready to do a new series starting next week for uh, the next eight weeks. We're going to be talking to mead makers to be. These are guys that are uh, men and women who are in the process of starting a meadery. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was if you had to pick one thing that you did when you know, like in your first couple of years that really spurred you forward, what was it? Mm. Well, Probably this, this, I don't know, the single most sort of biggest thing was get your feet on the street, right? Get out there and, and talk to people. Okay. Right? You know, don't, don't be afraid to go talk to people about your product. And right? I, I spent inordinate amounts of time just standing in front of people who had their chins dropped trying to figure out what the heck this thing was because they, they, they had no clue. Yeah, you have to be able to edu- you have to be able to educate people, and a lot of it is the individual buyers within different stores, right? And you know, after, after you do it a couple of times, it might seem like a a fairly heavy task to deal with some of these people, but you got to keep going. If you yeah. don't keep going, then you're you're, you're doomed to failure. Yeah, and you can take your time and you can do it slowly, right? But that's just you better have some you know some some money backing you if you want to take your time doing it. Now the, you know, the market's growing pretty fast. There's lots of competition jumping into it from from all different angles. So you think you just you just you got to get out there faster. And I could have I could have grown much faster had I just gone out there and just started selling more rather than relying on a lot of people word of mouth. Yeah, well, and you were early on too, so it was a much bigger task at that point. 
mean, Mead 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 is still not as well known as we'd like it to be, but it definitely got more traction than it had when you started out. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's, there's probably only four companies in the country making mead when I started. You know? Yeah, you know, I'd say that's too, fairly right? close. So, yeah. yeah. And shortly after we started, then uh, Gordon Hall started up in Arcata, California, right? So Hydrant, which he started in 1997. And then there were a couple of other smaller ones here and there around the country. And then uh, yeah, Dave Meyer started in 2001, I think it was. Wasn't... Um... Mark Barron's in there pretty early too. Yeah, probably right around the uh, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Yeah, ninety-eight, ninety-nine. Yeah, because yeah. he um, was in. I know. But he you know, was you're doing... one of the one of the. Uh, you know, Sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say one of the one of the biggest things I've seen in in kind of just the the, the world of meat at least has been you know, not just the fact that we had that meat digest that kind of got a lot of home brewers interested in this, but the whole internet in in general, right? As, as the internet kind of happened in, you know, 90, you know, three, 94, 95 kind of time frame, more and more people were now discussing, you know, what, what was me and this sort of all different types of online forums. And then of course, once these companies who were making meat started having a web presence, then you started finding out about more and more companies that were actually making it that, that we, that we didn't even know about previously. Right. I mean, I didn't know that Bartlett estate winery and, you know, up, up in, you know, down East Maine, was making mead in addition to their fruit lines until I saw their website in probably 1996 or 1997. Right. Yeah. I started tracking people, I think, in 98 or 99 as the meaderies that were out there, and there was maybe 30 on the list, I think. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and yeah. we're at, I want to say, coming up on 300 just in the States. And then – yeah, and then Canada is probably going to add almost another hundred to that. So you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's going crazy. It really is. Yeah, and then back in jolly old England, there's 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 two new ones that I know of, and there's another one starting up in Scotland, and then there's the guy, you know, the guy Tom in in uh, in Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's even sort of a you know not to use the the word but a, you know a renaissance of mead in he said renaissance <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I know yeah, it's I mean, it's see, really funny yeah. that it took us kicking it off took the colonists kicking it off to <laughs> to to create a resurgence of of mead yeah. in Europe and <laughs> it's yeah yeah you know so it's just really fun to see that and um i'm gonna have to hit you up because i didn't know about the guy in wales so i'll i'll ping you privately and get that information so okay. i can add it to the directory because i didn't have those yeah. um yeah and that's that's virtually a, a follow-on to the whole sort of you know craft brewing industry in the united states right so craft beer came along and then it did all this for for you know for craft breweries people started saying well you know what i actually like that kind of beer better than i like this other sort of mass-produced type of beer and you know that just kind of evolved into its own its own world and now we've got you know thousands and thousands of breweries in the united states and virtually every single town of any size has its own brewery yeah and then next next thing you know there's you know thousands and thousands of, of, of wineries all over the place and everybody and his brother's doing it. And then, you know, just, just even more recently cider, right? The cider. Yeah. It's exploding. Giant boom. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've been, we've been making our sizer since 2001. 
Yeah. And in about, I think it was 2002, we, we kind of said, you know what, people, people don't understand what Sizer is. So just on, on a whim, we went out to a local pub that we were trying to get on tap at, and we said, hey, look, how about trying our apple honey cider? And, and the, the guy behind the bar says, yeah, that'd be awesome. Right? Same exact product, just tell her what, what it is in, in, in terms that she understands. Yeah. Right? But the, you know, and then the next thing you know, now we're on, you know, we're on tap in hundreds of bars and pubs all over the you know, San Francisco Bay Area, and we're sold all over the West Coast. Right, and, and that's just really you know marketing and branding more than anything. If you look at the side panel on the label, it tells you it says this you know this apple honey sizer was made blah 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 blah, and includes you know black cherry juice, right? Yeah. So you kind of educate people what it is, but you give it to them in terms of something that they understand. Yeah. So well, and that's brag it, right. Yeah, and that's that's the same thing that I've been doing with mead. I know there's those who say, well, mead isn't wine. Like, well, maybe so, but if you couch it in those terms, it makes it easier for people to see it and to accept it. So why not go there if it makes it easier for you to sell your mead, you know? Sure, yeah. So you're, you're not going to get a, a a big winery that does 100,000 cases a year of, of grape wine to, to really to call it anything else. Right, yeah. they're going to go. Well, it's just wine. It's, it's honey wine, right? Yeah. Okay, great. So it's honey wine. But you know, what's the, you know, what what is the definition of mead? Well, it really depends on who you talk to. Yeah. Right? And it depends on what they're what they think it is. But I think the the simplest definition of mead is just alcoholic beverage made from honey. Yeah. Right. And then you can have multiple variants of that depending on what else you add to it. Yeah. I started. Uh, I started making mead, Michael, before I even had a taste of it. Uh, so I'm still oh, really? rather. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm still rather new at this. Uh, what What do you tell people the first time they taste mead, and wh- what's what's their reaction? You know, I, I, I don't. So somebody comes into my tasting room, and they've probably just heard of you know rabbit's foot meadery by looking online and finding out you know what's close nearby that's highly recommended. So, so they'll come into the tasting room, they'll sit at the counter and they'll kind of look at you funny. They'll look at all the things that you have on, on the chalkboard on the wall. And then basically we say, look, I, you know, have you ever had mead before? And they kind of go, no, I don't, I don't know what mead is. What, what is it? And you just basically repeat the same thing. It's an alcoholic beverage made from honey and we can change it by adding other things to it. Would you like to try a sample? And so we'll take them through a, a you know, flight of basically ace of the different versions of mead that we make. Typically, it's going to be two standard meads, three sizers, and three braggots. And there's always something that somebody likes. And the reason is, is because of all of those things, you can, you can kind of put them into three different categories, right? You can put them into the kind of the, the wine category. You can put them into the cider category. And you can put them into the beer category. And so they're already familiar with those things and they understand or they, you know, they, they might understand more, you know, what those three things are rather than telling them, well, try my sizer, try my braggot, try my methaglin, right? Because they certainly won't have a clue what methaglin is probably, right? And then people's reactions are always different and it really depends on the person. So you kind of have to give them things that you think they're going to like. Right? Even if they don't like all of them, there's guaranteed to be something that they will like. Right? But if you just give them, here's a glass of mead, well, okay, so they might taste it, they might say too dry, too sour, too tart, too sweet. It's really all about their taste buds at that point then. There's nothing mm-hmm. you can do about it. Right? Yeah. So multiple, you know, multiple choices to give them something to talk about. 
Yeah, and to give them the opportunity to, like you say, find something that that they like. Um, We've got a question from one of our regular listeners, uh, actually down under. He gets up in the middle of the night to to listen to the show. And and he wanted me to ask you this, so I'm going to read it. He's just typed it into the the Skype chat here. His name's Hamish. And Hamish says he made a Beaujolais with red gum honey, and I'm guessing red gum is another one of those Aussie honeys that – um, that we don't get much up here. It's uh, 25% heavily caramelized, 75% raw honey. And he used chai spices in it, cinnamon, cardamom, cloves, and um, such. And he says it's really, really good, but he's not getting any caramel notes from the caramelization of the honey, but he's getting like a heavy orange flavor. And he's wondering, have, any, have you any idea where that might be coming from? He's pretty sure it's not it? in the honey and wondering if he's mistaking the caramel flavor for the orange. It's possible, right? I mean, you can get those you know types of notes in a, in a very lightly caramelized sugar. So the honey itself might be reacting with the heat to create those flavors. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, if, if you don't get that sort of toffee, you know, you know types of you know toffee, coffee kinds of aromas, then you might not have actually caramelized it much. I mean, I don't know how dark that honey is to begin with. Yeah. If it's a darker honey, then you you might not be able to tell. You know, how, how how caramelized it is without actually testing it as you're going, right? Use a refractometer to check to see, you know, how much of the water has been burned off while you're doing it. Apparently, the red gum is uh, rich golden um, mm. with a savory flavor and aroma. So it's not a particular super dark honey. Okay. Yeah. And it's a, it's a eucalypt variety, eucalypt variety, yeah. though. Okay. Well, I've, I've had eucalyptus types of yeah. honey, those sort of more... And I, I haven't been partial to those, but yeah, um, me neither. You know, I would just more experimentation. I mean, I would just take a couple of different, you know, saucepans of of that particular honey, and I would just caramelize them all to different levels, and then maybe back sweeten that particular mead with the the caramelization of those you know different pots. Oh, okay. He said it's not light, and I just found another definition that says it is a darker, but yeah, oh, okay. high <laughs> high level, higher level of antioxidants. Uh, thick constituency, bold taste like a buckwheat, and a very distinctive aroma that apparently is appealing. It's kind of like buckwheat. It's like there's a love-hate relationship there, you know? <laughs> Interesting, yeah. yeah I, I try to stay away from buckwheat honeys myself. But... <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I got I got slapped in the face by buckwheat one too many times. Yeah. Now, there, there's a good place for buckwheat honeys in, in mead. It's, it's called Poland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that was that was his thing. So yeah, Hamish. I mean, it's possible. It, I was kind of thinking the same thing that as you change the constituency of the honey by caramelizing it, that could change the flavor of the honey as well. So I don't know. Right. And and again, you know, not knowing notes and yeast and so forth and so on, it's difficult to say where that could be coming from. Yeah. But I don't know. We got people waiting to call JD that um, I want to talk to Mike. Uh, not yet, but uh, we can take the calls, uh, as always. Uh, let me give out the number again in case you didn't write it down. Y'all just save this in your eight, phones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on speed dial. 818-921-4680. Glad to take your calls. Michael Fall from Rabbit's Foot Meadery on the uh, show with us tonight. Um, any plans for uh, new recipes in the future uh, at all, Mike? Uh, we're always looking at new recipes. I mean, we've got uh, 
probably too many recipes. That's, you know, that's one of the problems that you run into when you're when you're doing this commercially and you're trying to do it to any scale, right? Is just you know how much of a particular product do you make? And if you do make some things that turn out to be really good, you have to be able to dedicate the equipment space to make those particular products continuously. And otherwise you'll end up with, you know, no customers because you, you couldn't sell them something that you didn't have. But we do make custom versions of, of, of different things and we're always experimenting on different flavors. I mean, one of the things we're looking at right now is, you know, is, is kind of more, you know, hibiscus types of things, right? Using hibiscus not only for the flavor and the tartness that it gives, but also for, for, for coloring, right? Because hibiscus is really a great kind of deep purple type of color. So hibiscus is one. We're, we're looking at other versions of our braggots. I mean, we had, you know, a couple of different flavors or different styles that we were making. We're kind of doing a couple more. We just, you know, we just released a, a, a more of a, a Martin style braggot just for October, for Oktoberfest. Right? And then, you know, we, we still kind of experiment with other different versions of sizes, so different fruit flavors. Yeah. Blood orange, pomegranate, lemon. Combinations yeah. of lemon was awesome, flavors, right? Yeah. Lemon, yeah, lemon, one. and black you'll, cherry. You'll, <laughs> yeah, well, you'll 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 definitely like John Lemon then, right? So John mm-hmm. John John Lemon basically is a combination of our dry hop cider, yeah, right? or cider, and the the lemon cider. Oh my you god! Put those two together, and it's nice. You know, it's crisp, refreshing. You get some really nice floral notes from you know Cascade and Mosaic hops in, in in the dry hopping, and then you also get that lovely sort of lemon. Really, really good in the summer. Right? And that was basically invented by one of our customers. Right? Oh, cool. So we had that, and then the, the, the dry hopped version, that's, you know, Johnny Jump Up, right? So Yeah, we, we, I love that name. We're, we're always kind of looking at new, your, new things. Your Ren right? Fair is showing there, Mike, Johnny Jump Up. <laughs> no, no, you know. <laughs> you know the, the, the Ren Fair paid the bills at Rabbit Foot Meadery for many years. I know it did. Yeah, yeah. I was tickled when you got in there. What's Is there any uh, truth to the rumor that, uh, that you're going to be distilling and opening up a distilling business yeah, as so- well? That's right. So, so, so years ago, we, we did actually a, uh, my friend owns a distillery and we took some of the products and made it, you know, made some, some mead over at his place, distilled it and they came out and it was brilliant. But we went through probably two years worth of haggling with the government because they wouldn't let us call it anything because it wasn't, it wasn't distilled from anything that they actually knew about, right? It wasn't from grain. It wasn't from sugar. It wasn't from potatoes, right? Mm-hmm. And so they wouldn't let us sell it in, in the way that we wanted to. Now, somehow, a couple of other guys have gone out and they've started distilling, you know, f- fermented honey. And they've gotten label approval for it, but they're still only allowed to call it vodka. Yeah, so, I talked to him. You know, so, so, yeah, so in, in, in the state of California, at least, and in many other states, if you make a vodka, number one is you can't sell it yourself as a winery. So you have to go out and get, you know, you have to dump it into the three-tier distribution model, and I'm not really willing to do that. So there's only really two ways to do it. One, get it rebranded as a brandy, then you can sell it yourself as a winery. Or two, own your own distillery, right? Then if you have yeah. a tasting and then you can actually let customers taste it. And, and in California now, at least, we'll be able to have distilleries be able to sell their own products directly to consumers. In, in nice. So that's... You know, that's something that's going to hopefully happen and get signed into law this year here in California. And if that does happen, then you can be, you know, you can be, be certain that we'll, we'll have a distillery pronto. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, well, hopefully there's an online place where we'll be able to sell that too so those of us who do not live in California can get our hands on some of yeah. it. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you know, the, uh, there's an old Welsh poem, right? The, you know, the you know, mead song, right? That's uh, kind of the, 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 there's nothing finer than the sparkling distilled mead, right? So that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is really good. <laughs> well, there's the, um, uh, I've had two different distilled meads. Um, there's one in Australia. I want to say, oh, heck, what's her name? I've got two bottles of the stuff sitting in the kitchen. Um, but there's a, there's a, I think it's Bartholomew that does a distilled mead. Yeah. And um, they actually enter it in the Mazer Cup every year, you know, because it basically, yeah. it, it, it tracks as a brandy. So, um, yeah. and then there's another one, shoot, and I don't know if it's actually distilled mead or distilled honey beverage or not. It's uh, Moniac in Scotland. Right. Yeah, I believe their their right. their main one is the one that comes in the square bottles. I believe that's distilled. Yeah, and so so that's one of the reasons that we're kind of talking to the you know, at least in California, talking to the local government, you know, ABC, about you know, what you can call it. Because if I can buy something from another country that's made and sold as a brandy, then why can't I make the exact same thing in the United States and call it a brandy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because we have convoluted, yeah. silly rules that that disagree with job. one another. Yeah. 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 And um, if you don't have the everything fit in the nice little square holes, the government doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. That's right. That's why well, all of these round pegs. Yeah. Mm. God, God forbid they should be required to think. You know, I mean, that's just wasn't in the job description. So, um, so we're coming up on time here. So, um, any last uh, helpful hints? For everybody listening out there, besides buy rabbit's foot mead. <laughs> well, you know, buy everybody's mead. There you right? go. Because, you know, the, the, the old adage, right, a, a rising tide floats all boats. Right? The it's more nuts. people are buying and enjoying and drinking mead, the more home brewers are making their own mead at home themselves, the better it will be for the entire industry, right? I mean, it's compared to all of these other sort of alcohol beverage industries, Need is really, 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 really small. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, the more that we can do to help ourselves, the better. Yeah. Right? You know, don't, don't, if you're if you're a commercial producer, don't don't infight with other people in the industry. You know, get along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's it, a, there's not that many of us. We need to stick together. That's you know. That's right. Absolutely. And that's exactly what happened. And if you go back into the old old archives of the Brewers Association. When they were very small, there was always this sort of, you know, nitpickiness between some different brewers. But once they all got together and, and, and decided that they were going to do it all together, then look what happened. Magic happened, yeah. And that's the big thing. Yeah. If you if if we all are rowing in the same direction, then the boat's going to go somewhere. And that's, uh, you know, pulling yeah. off your earlier nautical... Uh, that's, that's actually one of the great things I like to see is all some, you know, meters doing sort of collaborations together, right? Oh, that's fun, you know, yeah. Do, do, do a collaboration with another mead maker, right? So, you know, I'll, I'll get together with any mead maker that wants to. If you want to come out to California, we can sit down, formulate a recipe, we can make a batch of something, and we can you know, make it... I'm on my start. way. <laughs> okay. I'm, on my, say, I'm, yeah. I'm packing my bags tonight. I'm on my way. <laughs> so, so listen up, y'all out there. Maybe you're not commercial yet, but maybe you have aspirations. Mike just threw down the gauntlet. You can make or collaborate on a commercial meet if that's what you want to do. This is an opportunity. 
So, you know, there are, he's not the only one out there that's willing to do that either. So, you know, don't be afraid to get out there and say, Hey, you know, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to change and help the industry move forward. And uh, once again, established in Sunnyvale, California in 1995, Rabbit's Foot Meadery is one of the largest and the oldest continuously operating meaderies, producing an award-winning variety of mead and its variants. Rabbit's Foot Meadery produces the oldest barrel-aged mead in America, currently at 16 years and has been served in the finest restaurants, such as the famous The French Laundry, Rabbit's Foot Meadery has been handcrafting other award-winning products, including their Red Branch Cider Company brand of Apple Sizers and Red Branch Brewing Company branded Braggots. Previously available in over 30 states, the company has pulled back its distribution in 2005 to the West Coast, where their products are available for purchase in the states of California, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Hawaii and Nevada with over 95 national and international awards, including multiple consecutive goals. Rabbit's Foot Meadery is perhaps the most award-winning meadery in the country. Michael, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks a lot, Mike. It was fun. Thank you. I will, uh, I'll catch you. I'll catch you, uh, on private and we'll coordinate because I'm really, really wanting to see the place when I come out next month. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and I live in I'm in Southern California, so I'm, I just might take you up on uh, on that invitation. So uh, I'll be <laughs> oh, in touch. Lord. he'll be he'll be he'll be you know we won't be able to even have him on the show anymore if you do that, Mike. Just saying, you know, he'll be so full okay. of himself. God, you know. <laughs> All right, uh, we're gonna step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, the Pumpkin Project. So stick around. We'll be right back. Mead, located in the heart of North Carolina, specializes in wine-style meads of varying sweetness level, with a menu that usually includes 16 different flavors and featuring local North Carolina honey, there's always something new to try. Whether you like a drier mead that mimics a red or white wine, or something sweeter with fruit or herbs, Starlight Mead has got you covered. Come in for a tasting. Starlight Mead Artisan Winery and Tasting Room is located at 480 Hillsborough Street, Suite 1000, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, at Chatham Mills. This historic label mill complex is located just north of downtown Pittsburgh on 15501, two miles south of Highway 64 Bypass, or order a bottle from vinoshipper.com. Either way, Starlight Mead hopes to surprise and delight you. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. 
Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. And we are back live here on Got Mead Live uh, after being off for a couple of weeks. Uh, talking to Michael Fall here uh, from Rabbisfoot and Meadery. They're located out here in Northern California. And uh, Vicky and AJ, I, I just might take him up on that uh, invitation to come up and uh, collaborate on something. <laughs> there you go. And say, we'll just have to kick you off the show about that point because you'll be so full of yourself. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, you'd be absolutely unlivable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then it really will be, you know, two chicks with mead. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I've been toying around, uh, you know, and, I, and I've taken Oscar at his word. Uh, I listen very closely to what he has to say. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into making my first traditional. In fact, I just racked it on Sunday for the first time. Uh, and in the process of oaking and waiting for it to clear now. He's helped me uh, along the way, but I thought for uh, for some fun, uh, I put a recipe together, and uh, I did consult Oscar about it, and uh, I thought we'd do a pumpkin recipe, and I'm in the process of going out and buying all the ingredients, uh, and uh, I thought what we'd do is see if we can't get some feedback from some of the folks listening out there uh, to the show. Okay. No. Well, we got Hamish is just waiting, fingers on the keyboard, <laughs> so we're good there. And uh, you know, hello, Chris in Mississippi, are you listening? Yeah, Chris in Mississippi. Um, JD who needs, needs a, your who advice. Needs, yeah, who? Yeah, who needs to tell us what your forum name is because people are asking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, but this recipe, uh, what 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 I'm going to start out with here. Uh, is around 15 pounds now i've i've not uh i've taken not to using the pounds anymore i go by the hydrometer so something yeah in, like pete uh, says you just get it to where you want it and don't worry yeah. about how much there actually was until he's of course you have to write the recipe down <laughs> he's graduated to, to to checking this gravity instead of going by weight yep absolutely yep. um but we're looking at around 15 pounds of mesquite uh, about 26 pounds of pumpkin, and I ran across this other uh, vegetable, pumpkin, called kombucha. Kombucha. Uh, kombucha. Uh, 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 kombucha, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, uh, no M in there because uh, people are – I was looking at your spelling, and I was like – I thought you were talking about kombucha, and I was like, but that's not a Japanese pumpkin, so. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is, it's Japanese, yeah. so. Kabocha, yeah, K-A-B-O-C-H-A, for anybody out there that wants to look for them. Yeah, it's supposed to be a very sweet form of a, of a pumpkin. Now, it doesn't, it, the shape of it looks like a pumpkin, but it's green in color, so don't mistake it for some other kind of squash. It is a pumpkin. Uh, but 26 pounds combined of, uh, of that and regular sugar pumpkins. Uh, now, the 26 pounds will more than likely reduce after they're roasted. Uh, and I'm sure that that's what everybody would recommend. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we're looking at uh, possibly adding around four pounds of sweet potatoes. Um, I ordered. What, uh, what variety? 
Uh, they're the sweet potato variety. <laughs> no, there's actually okay. Not the reason yams. why I know this, yes, no. I, the reason why I know this is, um, well, a, I live in North Carolina. We're big on sweet potatoes here. But b, one of my friends who used to be on my black powder shooting team was actually, believe it or not, the sweet potato queen was what we called her. She was with the state. Um, um, agricultural board and was in charge of managing varieties there's actually a couple dozen different varieties maybe more of sweet potatoes and some are sweeter than others that's why i asked i um yeah this is uh, this is not well out here in california we can only get two varieties you either get the yam which has got the purple skin Mm -hmm. or you get sweet potato which has got the kind of a beige colored skin yeah, uh, so now there's like 15. They're actually all sweet potatoes, but yeah. uh, one variety that you might want to keep an eye out for if it becomes available is uh, Beauregard. That's a southern variety. It's pretty high in sugar, and um, it's, yeah, and um, spelt like General Beauregard, and um, it's a it's a really good one. But, yeah, I would definitely, if you're thinking about doing this more than once and anybody out there is thinking about using sweet potatoes, Hamish, you said – um, same thing uh, is to look and see what varieties are available to you because some are lower in sugar, some are higher in sugar, um, and the varieties they develop to grow in different temperature bands have varying levels of sweetness. So right. you know you you can just get something that's you know based on what you're trying to do. Yeah, and this being, I mean, we're we're coming up on the Thanksgiving, Christmas, holiday season, so I thought this would be a very appropriate. Uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving's next week for me. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's but, the season uh, of everything pumpkin spiced. I mean, what are you talking about? Absolutely. I've already started with the pumpkin spice latte. Oh, God. Yeah. Same here. I also got um, I also got uh, some uh, pumpkin spice from my favorite uh, spice uh, uh, company on the Internet, Jingle uh, Jungle Spices. Um and we're going to use uh, apple juice, and I, I want to use fresh pressed. Uh, Trader Joe's out here in California has got very fresh pressed apple juice, uh, and uh, so we're going to use that. I'm looking at 20 grams. Now, uh, Oscar suggested that we use D21 yeast, uh, and if anybody's got any other kind of a preference, um, uh, you know, we'll uh, certainly take a look at that. And then, of course, 10 grams of yeast nutrient uh, to go along with it. So that's that's the basic ingredients. And uh, I believe we do have a caller on the line. And judging by the number, I think it's somebody from Mississippi. <laughs> I just heard Vicky say you needed advice. I didn't catch why. <laughs> <laughs> He's making being, a pumpkin mead. Yeah, and, and, you know, being the good southern boy that he is, he's polite and, and wants to help people. So, you know. <laughs> I, got a, I got a half a hog on the smoker tonight, so I'm up oh. all night long. Oh, oh nice. my God. Okay, what sort of barbecue are you doing, Chris? Because I got to know. I do dry rub. Ah, I Memphis love you. barbecue. Oh, Memphis gosh, barbecue. I want to come visit you. But Memphis dry rub. <laughs> and, and don't tell all the other people that live in North Carolina. Um I really like Memphis dry rub the best. That will probably get me lynched next week, but this is barbecue country here. They're very serious about that stuff. Yeah, you got to, you got, and uh, you only use vinegar slaw. Mm hmm. And, well, and there's, um, there's the big argument about Eastern versus Western Carolina. 
barbecue and 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 then there's virginia which has all the mustard in it it's like oh my gosh you know so i just kind of back it off and go i'll take a kc or a memphis dry rub and i'm a happy camper yeah i mean i haven't you know i haven't heard anybody complain about barbecue of any kind so Mm -mm. i'm not going to no i'm not going on either but, pumpkin uh, meat, I don't know anything about pumpkins. I don't like pumpkins, so. <laughs> You're no help, Chris, do you? <laughs> I'm no help. I, I wish I had known. I wouldn't have called. I, <laughs> We're, I got yeah. my hands full with, with this uh, poor man's heart of darkness that I'm doing, so. <laughs> How's that coming You know, we need, to, we need to just start getting Chris on for, like, the update segment of how the poor man's heart of darkness is yeah. doing, like, once a month, you know? Yeah. It, it's in the, it's in the tertiary now, so it's it's going to be laid down and left alone for a while. There you go. But uh, yeah. so anyway, we're working on this pumpkin mead, and I uh, just went through the list of ingredients. Uh, also, uh, in that, uh, we're going to put some Vermont maple syrup. Now I've got sixty four ounces on the uh, on the list of ingredients. It's a half a gallon. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's even going to be enough because uh, what I'm looking for is that, you know, your grandmother's sweet uh, pumpkin pie. I mean, I, I can taste it in my mouth, you know. Yeah. Pie pumpkin. I, I would suggest using the syrup for bar for back sweetening because the drier you get uh, maple syrup, the less maple flavor it has typically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so, AJ, I, I that's... You may not even want to ferment that at all just to preserve the maple character from it. Yeah, that could be. Uh, now, uh, you know, we're looking at a target uh, uh, starting gravity of around 1.135. So, And you've got a lot of sugar already going in there. Yeah. You're going to be in that area even without because you've got um, two pounds of brown sugar. And I'm well, not, I'm not a hundred percent sold on that because brown sugar is processed here. So it's hard to get that without bringing in off flavors. And then I see molasses yeah. further down. And honestly, if I had a pick between the two, I'd go for the molasses. Yeah. I, uh, no, 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 don't, don't, no, 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 don't. We'll get on, <laughs> no, you know, just get the unsulfured molasses. It, you know, I, I had a, I had a bad experience on two different occasions with molasses and mead. And the first one was in a uh, in a sizer that I was doing, and uh, it did not work at all. <laughs> oh, and the next one, no, I, 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 now Vicky is the expert. I'm just uh, well, I'm, I'm, not, just, I'm not a know-it-all or anything, but I've had some pretty amazing molasses meads. You know, so I, I think uh, a lot of it depends on what you're doing. You know. I've also had some really good experiences with using brown sugars, so. Yeah, well, there you go. So, you know. Yeah, you know brown sugar in, in a sizer goes good. I, I've done that. But mm -hmm. my two experiences with the of course, now I had blackstrap molasses. So that's, you know, it's yeah. full-bodied and it's. Uh, yeah, that's like molasses on steroids. <laughs> is, there, yeah. is, there, is there any other kind of molasses? <laughs> yes, there is. There are, there well, are actually yeah. great different grades, just like uh, just like maple syrup. There's different grades that you can get. Blackstrap's kind of like the end-all, be-all Uber molasses right. and what our grandparents used. I mean, yeah, but, exactly. yeah, but there's other 
less um less molasses molasses yeah i was gonna say that yeah <laughs> well yeah less, my less my, interface molasses molasses what's the plural for molasses <laughs> my, my point was blackstrap is kind of the end all be all there like, we yeah, go I mean, <laughs> it, it's the full unrefined yep. i mean it's it's raw molasses that's the one my grandmother yeah. used uh yeah. we got another caller uh 4612 uh who are you where are you from and uh what you got Help to us. talk about? <laughs> Help! Well, this is uh, David from Port Arthur. I'm 58 Limited on the forum. Hey, hey David. 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 And first of all, we're uh, getting like a regular group here on the phone. It. Love it. it. Yeah, and uh, inquiring minds on the forum want to know, Chris, what is your username? Yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't have one. What? You're not. I've on never. The forum? I've never. I've never signed up on the forum. What? Oh, oh my God! <laughs> Seriously, we got you and you, Chris. Go right now and go sign up on the forum. What is wrong with you, boy? <laughs> One of those. I'll, I'll go sign up. Uh huh. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, you got you got fans. You need to get out there. They're asking for you, man. Yeah, seriously. Just a lurker. Yeah, uh, probably not. They're probably not fans. They're probably wanting to to shoot me down and stuff. Uh, well, you can. You're a doctor. You can fix gunshot wounds, right? You should be good. Uh, I can, oh, anyway. I can handle it. There you go. Um, Besides, I got to find you down there in the swamps in Mississippi first. That's David, uh, David, we're working on this pumpkin mead, and uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna have to say, like Chris did, I'm not that experienced with pumpkin, but uh, mainly I started dialing when y'all were talking about the maple syrup, right? And I think I think I can second AJ's comment about. Um, using it for back sweetening because when you ferment 64 mm -hmm. ounces not go very far yeah and you're gonna lose you're gonna lose all that lovely maple character yeah that's yeah. what i was thinking after i uh, because i i ordered this uh from vermont and it comes from uh, uh a single family operation i mean this they've been doing this for about 20 years or so um and uh i talked to the guy on the phone jim wells uh, back there in Vermont, and it's kind of a one-man operation. He only does 500 gallons a year. Uh, it's really good stuff. Oh my God, I took a little taste of it the other day when I came in, and it's amazing. I'm I'm blessed with a really close friend in Vermont who uh, just randomly sends me bottles of syrup. Oh so, so like, randomly okay, send me some. I got a question for whoever. Uh, you said that the uh, the maple character goes away. You know how uh, a lot of flavors will return with age. Does yeah. does maple do that at all? Uh, I'd want to. I'd want to ask it of the people who've done Acer Glens maple syrup meads. Um, I've made a bunch of Acer Glens, but I've always left them a little bit sweet, so there was always still a little bit of unfermented. But what I've read on the forum is that if you ferment it out dry, it's gone, and I've not heard of it coming back the way honey character does. Yeah. Okay, it's possible okay. it does, but I've not heard of it. But so it tends to not last uh, that long. You know, people well, don't eat yeah, that long. Not. Yeah. So I think the only, the only recipe I ever saw with it was, uh, I think it was Rathwell's Ace yeah. Blend or something like that. Rath yeah, the was the one who kind remover. of... Yeah, Rath's Liquid Panty Remover, I think, was the first Acer Glen recipe on Got Mead, if I remember right. So we're mm -hmm. looking at probably uh, even reducing the amount of honey and adding more maple syrup then to get right. to the gravity. 15, this is a five-gallon batch? Yes. Okay, yeah, my usual, so when I'm making my Acer Glen, my usual way of doing it is I use a 540 uh, milliliter can of maple syrup for every kilogram of honey. There you go. 
So okay, okay. Five write minutes. it down. Write it down and do <laughs> yeah. the conversion later, Jay. Write it down. Convert it later. Sorry. Yeah. Five, that's right. Yeah. One and a quarter. That would be about one and a quarter pounds to two point two pounds. Oh yeah, somebody uh, speaks okay. metric. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's okay. and, so I just don't convert between the two. Regular in their heads yeah. quite often. You know, and JD, you don't you don't indicate here. Do you want this to go dry? Do you want this to be semi sweet? Where are you want to end up with all well, this? Well, uh, I believe we're just going to let it because we're starting with such a high gravity. And uh, like I said, I've been consulting. My uh, D twenty one is not particularly aggressive, so right. And so we're just going to let it run its course and see where uh, it goes. Okay, yeah, I believe all it's right. going to finish on the sweet side. Um, like I said, when we're, you know, bottom line, with I think that much sugar in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you've got, you've got one, two, three, possibly four. Um, if you do the molasses sources of sugar and then you're going with, uh, sweet potatoes, which are high in sugar and then the kabocha, which is high in sugar and then sugar pumpkins, which are high in sugar. Right. So now some of that sugar is going to caramelize and that may be where you get your caramel flavor. Yeah. You know, I would I would say maybe instead of caramelizing the brown sugar, maybe caramelize the pumpkins to take your caramel well, from I there. Think, I think we might we're probably going to wind up leaving the brown sugar out of it because now or I just put some on the pumpkins when you brown them. There you go. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I'm thinking because there's a natural caramelization process uh, that's going to take place during the roast. Yes. With the with the pumpkin and and the uh, the pumpkin. Yeah, the, the sugar in those is because I get I do that with corn. Remember, you yeah. got all take a take a take a couple of quarts, take a couple of quarts of your honey and caramelize it. <laughs> Could do that too. Got to be careful with that though, because it's like when you're making beer. If you take your eyes off the pet pot for a second, you know, yeah. you're doomed. <laughs> you know, the yeah, the Murphy's law says that off the pot for a second you're doomed that's just what happens you know it'll either boil over or burn or burn Take it off yeah the burner if you have to go to the washroom exactly yeah and then the spice do the, uh, do the pressure cooker method now there's a good idea but i don't the, know, uh, you, would, you wouldn't get the roast character that way no though. yeah I, cooked I, but you I know like i, th- I would say in the oven would be the best way to go you know I mean, yeah just oven roast them i mean that's what i do when i make veggies i strip out sweet potatoes and i roast them and they're amazing but i did um i did a couple of runs of uh, caramelizing apple cider in uh, my um my crock pot Ooh, yeah so maybe doing pumpkins in the crock pot might work too you just we, have to uh, pop the lid off you leave the lid off so some of the water evaporates well it works for making caramel so you know yeah. i'm also going to add spice uh, add the pumpkin spice to the roast but I also want to back it up uh, in secondary. So yeah, yeah, I'm make sure you get at, what you um, want. I'd yeah. say tea bags for sure. I would not go full on spice because it's hard to to it's hard to measure. And there are people right. who will disagree with me on this, but it's easier to control if you can just yank the bag out. If you've got to go fishing everything out of there, you know you can miss something. If you've got oh, three can, uh, three cinnamon sticks and a handful of allspice and whatnot. You like know. a, uh, you know, I, I started looking for some, I, I ran across these cotton bags. Is that, uh, uh we're going to go to your, go to your brew shop. Little... Tell them you want a sparge bag or a, uh, a hops bag. Thank you. A hops bag. And, uh, they're, they're basically mesh bags. Well, this is just... powdered spice. This is not oh, a full spice. Oh, it is? Yeah, uh, okay. Then what I, you, what I've done in thing, that case is you put it, fold up a coffee filter and staple it. 
Yep. That's what, that's what I'm thinking, AJ. Yeah. Or you here, here's the thing. Tea, uh, you know. here, yeah, here's the thing about the spices. Okay, I, I was all for getting the whole spices. However, I have no idea uh, as to how much of each one to put together to wind up with the amazing pumpkin spice that you always taste on pumpkin pie. Well, okay. That's one of those things you'd have to look up on the internet and then sort of pick one that sounds right. I, I, yeah, I did. And yeah. I, yeah. And I understand it's, <laughs> well, it's okay. Figure what that out. you might, what you might do is take a look at a spiced sizer recipe and there are many on the forum and see how much spice they're putting in. Cause many of the spice sizer recipes use nutmeg, cinnamon, mace, and allspice, and, you know, various and sundry others, but you can get a sense of how much they use in a five-gallon batch, or even if it's a one-gallon batch, you can just do the math to, you know, take that up. But I would, I mean, powdered is good, but fresh is so much better. You get a much more definitive flavor from that than you get if you go with powdered. Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between an oak, sta- uh, oak staves and, like, oak, oak chips, right? yeah. I have, yeah. um, I've got the method uh, all lined out and everything. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this up in the forum. Uh, it'll be in the regular part of the forum. And uh, everybody, everybody will be able to chime in on it. Uh, we're looking to put this together uh, this weekend. So, um, you know, just looking for uh, comments on it. Uh, you know, what do you think about it? And we're going to keep, uh, you know, uh, on the, you know, over the next eight weeks, uh, of course, we'll uh, spend a few minutes on it. I'll update everybody, let everybody know where we're at with it, uh, what the gravity readings are, pH, that kind of thing, and what we've done. Mm-hmm. And hoping to make this kind of a community-type thing. So, um, Okay, uh, so anybody out there listening, either live or afterwards, we will post the recipe once we've got it tweaked. And if you want to join in the challenge then you too can make JD's pumpkin project and then we can have a confab later to see how they all turned out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm anticipating this thing not being ready to drink until next November. So, um, we can do a doodle brew too. I'll throw in my heart of darkness. There you go. (laughs) But, uh, I'm going to go with the heart murmur. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Oh, that's great. Perfect. I love it. Thanks. And, and of course, being a cardiologist, there's no like you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. some cardiology yeah. humor here, you know. So uh, yeah. we'll uh, we'll put the recipe up, and uh, and uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, I want to get this thing going by this uh, next weekend. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll be able to enjoy a glass of this uh, pumpkin uh, mead at Thanksgiving uh, next year. So uh, we got um, we got Hamish has uh, been texting me on Skype here while we were doing this. And he's going, you know, I just figured out that pumpkin pie is a sweet thing. They only do savory down there. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and so he's like going, why are you doing this? Because <laughs> this is what we do. He's like, oh. Right, uh, but apparently he had his very first pumpkin pie last year. He's got a grandmother who is um, from the U.S. and she made pumpkin pie, and he said it was a surprise. So um, yeah. he's he's getting. He was asking. He says, "What spices are you talking about?" So I told him. He says, "See, that still feels weird." That's one of those flavors for me that if I sit down with a piece of pumpkin pie, I'll eat the whole pie. But I would never just go and buy a piece of pumpkin pie. Yeah. So once oh, I no, get started eating it, you know, I yeah. eat it. 
Uh, All right. One time. Well, let's, uh, I tell you what, we need to uh, end this particular segment. we got a really long Ask Oscar uh, coming up. He's going to be talking about melomels, blueberry melomel, uh, you know, specifically. Yeah. yeah. But I think it relates, uh, you know, you'll hear him uh, talking. I mean, and, you know. I dragged him all over melomels. So. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, melomels seem to be a very popular uh, thing out there. Uh, and, you know, don't take, uh, you know, I mean, just because they're talking about blueberry, what Oscar's talking about actually fits virtually any kind of a melomel. Well, know, berry, berry like, melomels, the other, berry mel- yeah, yeah. non-berry melomels are a little bit of a different animal. So, yeah. but, and, and you guys, uh, you know, you guys that are Chris and David, if you want to stick around, by all means do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, we, we usually get together and yak during the ask Oscar, but, uh, yeah. We're going to Thank you missed a good show. <laughs> yeah, I heard. I'm going to have to go listen to the recording. I'm I'm a little afraid of what I'm going to find. <laughs> We're going to step away, take a real quick commercial break when we come back. It's Ask Oscar. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Homebrewtalk.com, your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home. Their forum covers recipes, brewing equipment, and help from member brewers. If you picked up your equipment today, you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com. Sign up today for as little as $4 a month and become a supporting member. homebrewtalk.com your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home their forum covers recipes brewing equipment and help from member brewers if you picked up your equipment today you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com sign up today for as little as four dollars a month and become a supporting member Mead, located in the heart of North Carolina, specializes in wine-style meads of varying sweetness level, with a menu that usually includes 16 different flavors and featuring local North Carolina honey, there's always something new to try. Whether you like a drier mead that mimics a red or white wine, or something sweeter with fruit or herbs, Starlight Mead has got you covered. Come in for a tasting. Starlight Mead Artisan Winery and Tasting Room is located at 480 Hillsborough Street, Suite 1000, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, at Chatham Mills. This historic Lagle Mill complex is located just north of downtown Pittsburgh on 15501, two miles south of Highway 64 Bypass, or order a bottle from vinoshipper.com. Either way, Starlight Mead hopes to surprise and delight you. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens its doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. 
Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. And we are back live here on Got Mead Live. And uh, I mean, we just got a house full here. We've been yakking in the background. Coming up next is Ask Oscar. Uh, now, this is going to be kind of a long session. So, yeah. uh, you know, we're looking at uh, probably an hour, and I know we're going to run long on time. So if you want to catch the show on the replay, make sure you go to SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, it's all over the place. Gotme.com. Uh, you know, we try to get it out there as much as possible. So, uh, without further ado, here is Ask Oscar. He's talking Melomels tonight. Sit tight. Welcome to another episode of Ask Oscar. After we took a couple couple week break here to get out there and um, figure out the next segment and uh, take some time for ourselves, so I'm here with Pete. And today we're going to be talking about melomels. Uh, we got an email from Miles on the forum, and Miles is asking, uh, "Would Pete want to get into his blueberry melomel?" Uh, master plan. <laughs> um, Pete, you cite blueberry melomels a fair amount of time. I don't know why. I guess it's just kind of like just you know one of your go tos or whatever when you know you're discussing techniques and stuff. So apparently that's sticking out for folks and they want to know more. Oh, okay. Well, it's you know blueberry melomels are great things. Uh, you know, it's very basic. Get some blueberries, get some honey, get some water, get some yeast, pitch them together, and make blueberry melomel. Um, there's a little bit more to it, obviously, you know, <laughs> what kind of shortest, <laughs> shortest ask yeah. Oscar ever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, great talking to you guys. Bye. See you bye. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, you know, there's, there's a lot of things going into making a, a mellow mill of any kind, but at its basic, you still need to be a good basic mead maker. And JD and I were just talking about, you know, getting that whole idea of being able to make a great traditional down and then being able to elaborate on it. And this, you know, is part and parcel with that as well. Um, okay. Find a good honey, you know, find a good honey. I, there's several honeys I like to work with everything from just, you know, like a, a, you know, your basic orange blossom or a mesquite or sage or clover or whatever. And uh, something that's going to be complimentary. Now, blueberry's got plenty of acid and plenty of flavor and a, a lot of tannin as well. So you're going to want a honey that's not going to be a, a shrinking violet in the background, uh, pun intended. But at the same time, uh, you don't want to try to overpower it either. So things like buckwheat or pecan or something with super strong flavors that's not necessarily going to be complementary to the flavor of the blueberry and the, all the character it brings with it. Probably don't want to work with. I've done, I've done really great, uh, blueberry melds with, um, skeet, with sage, with orange blossom and with clover. So any of those mm-hmm. will work. And it depends on the honey. Um, I'd recommend, you know, if you have some on hand, try, uh, you know, eating a couple of blueberries and then uh, try it with different honeys and see which one you kind of like the flavor 
uh, mixed come you know together with uh, obviously it's going to change after fermentation but you get a basic idea of you know if there's sharpness in the in the fruit sharpness in the honey maybe it's going to be too sharp if the if the fruit is real bright and the, the honey's real dull maybe not a great idea but if the fruit's real bright and you've got a good deep flavor in your honey back there that you think is going to support it rather than fighting it you know in the in the long run then that's probably the one to go with so um, honey selection um, taste the honey taste the blueberries see if they go together um, maybe even get a little blueberry juice and add some honey to it and see how that tastes you know I don't I don't do that personally but I, I just work with you know tasting the honey and then tasting the fruit and see which combination I like the best so that's something that folks will need to adjudicate themselves and, and be able to say hey this honey tastes really good with these blueberries most honey I think will taste good with blueberries got that nice tart versus the sweet um and then also you know what kind of blueberries are available can you get your hands on fresh blueberries can you get your hands on fresh wild blueberries um uh do you only have access to frozen blueberries and if so are they um you know farm raised or are they wild frozen blueberries uh no blueberries fresh or frozen um juice what kind of juice can you get your hands on is it concentrate is it uh, pure, you know, bottled um, juice, kind of like that Noobs and, you know, juice only, blueberry juice? Um, they sell the same kind of stuff at Trader Joe's, and, and it wouldn't surprise me a bit if it's Noobs and Trader Joe's on it. Um, so you've got a lot of choices there. Um, for me, the, the farm-raised blueberries, while they're big and plump and, and pretty cool-looking, don't carry as much flavor and character as wild blueberries do fresh wild blueberries are awesome um if you can't get fresh of either kind then the next tier is going to be frozen uh frozen cult uh, cultured i was going to say cultured blueberries kind of like cultured pearls blueberries and uh you know or frozen wild blueberries and again i'll take the the frozen wild blueberries over the frozen uh farm-raised blueberries and then stepping down to juice, get the juice that's, you know, pure juice, as close to pure juice as you can. Um, if you can't find that, then from a concentrate and then, you know, juice with adjuncts in it. A lot of juices you'll see nowadays will have apple and grape and corn, you know, uh, syrup and, and all these other things in it. And it's really, you know, taking a, a pretty big step away. So, you know, read that label. Make sure that anything you buy that's going to mm-hmm. be bottled juice also doesn't have sodium uh, benzoate or you know sorbic acid or you know any kind of uh, any kind of preservative in it that's going to get in the way of the fermentation so you've got fruit um, fresh or frozen maybe even dried but you have to be careful with the dried fruit now I stopped using a lot of dried fruit in anything anymore because there's just some crazy need for the people that make it to just paint the things with oil of some kind or another. And uh, there was oil on the stuff that I used many, many years ago, but it wasn't really the kind of, you know, just it's, it's like they just submerse them in oil and then package them. There's so much oil on the inside of the, uh, the packaging now. So um, okay. that doesn't work. I've, I've tried it a couple of times by doing like an alcohol rinse with some cheap vodka, put them into like a big chinois and uh, pour vodka over it and, 
Um, you know, that strips off some of that oil. It, it doesn't get all of it, so your, your contact time is going to have to be minimalized if you're using dried fruit uh, that's oily, especially the palm or safflower oil. They really give it some funky characters that I don't like. So a lot of the, the older recipes um, that I've done, and, and even somewhere in the patrons forum, you'll see some of these things. I think I went and updated a couple of them, but I'm, you know, trying to go through and update them all that I had froze up and dried fruit in. Um, you got to be careful because the, the, the oil that they're using now just, it's to keep it looking colorful and flexible and all that and appealing. But the problem is, it, 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 number one, it really impacts the flavor even on the dried fruit. And, and if you're fermenting with it, then it, it really does impact the flavor in a negative way, in my opinion now. Um, so you got to kind of, you know, go with a, a light hand when you're using dried fruit anymore, or at least go through, rinse off as much oil as possible. Uh, maybe even, you know, make a, make a tea out of the, out of the dried fruit and, uh, put it in the refrigerator to kind of congeal some of that oil toward the top so you can either you know, scrape it off or uh, kind of like, you know, spoon it off or whatever it's going to be so you don't have an oil slick when you pour it into the carboy or the bucket okay. or whatever it is you're going to be the ferment. Um, so get your fruit taken care of. Uh, if it's frozen, keep it frozen until, you know, game day, so to speak, and then take it out in the morning before you start making this stuff because, you know, the, uh, the temperature of the frozen fruit when you drop it into your fermenter is going to influence the overall temperature of the, of the vessel itself. So you don't want it too low for the fermentation to start off. You don't want to stall your fermentation before it even starts. Um, the, the other thing that you want to do is if you have fresh fruit, uh, wild or, or farm raised, you're going to want to split those, uh, blueberries. And I don't mean cut them in half with a knife. I mean, get a rolling pin. Um, I use like a, uh, a big baking tray, um, you know, a rimmed baking sheet, you know, a half sheet, rather large one. And, uh, I go ahead and put some, uh, foil or saran on the bottom of that, uh, lay the blueberries out on it or the fruit that I'm going to be using and then go over it with a rolling pin to split them. Um, or, you know, if I've got the crusher stemmers cleaned and handy and one of my, uh, one of my uh, relatives has actually returned it after using it. Then, uh, you know, I'll run it through that if it's blueberries, because those are blueberries are kind of easy to run through there. You can adjust the uh, rollers down to split them, crush them, um, just like you would uh, with like regular set of grapes, like Pinot is in or whatever. Um, okay. So now that you're you've got your fruit, you got to decide how much you're gonna how much you're gonna use, because uh, that's gonna determine you know how much honey you're going to put in, uh, the overall volume of what you're doing and, uh, and such. So, um, buy appropriate amount of fruit. I'm, uh, I'm a big believer in a lot of fruit. You know, if you're, if you're going to be making a blueberry melomel, I say, you know, go big or go home. So I'm a big, a big believer in, you know, like anywhere like four to five or more pounds per gallon of fruit. Um, if I can, I get enough fruit to fill up a, uh, like a little 10 gallon, uh, uh, fermentation vessel and crush it. And I'll go ahead and get the, uh, the fermentation going on that just like I would grapes and, uh, add my yeast slurry into it and then start adding the honey in until I've got the, uh, 
specific gravity or the bricks uh, to the level that I want. And with uh, with the Mellow Mellow, I like to start out at, you know, 1.130 to 1.135. Um, I'm going to use uh, either RC212 or that uh, uh, D254. Those those both work really, really well with uh, blueberries. Uh, there's some other ones out mm-hmm. there. People like to use 71B. That one's fine. Uh, good yeast, good strong fermenter. Um, depending on what you, you know, you like in your, in your yeast. Um, so, you know, make your yeast determination. Get your fruit. Um, determine how much you're going to use. Uh, 30, 40, 50 pounds of fruit. Um, if you're going to be making a blueberry melomel, I'm, I'm not, you know, you can add water to it. You can use water to bring your volume up or you can use blueberry juice or other kinds of juices to kind of supplement that flavor. If I'm using a fresh combination of fresh blueberries or frozen blueberries and juice, I'll get, uh, if I want to make six gallons, I'll get, uh, you know, probably about four gallons of, uh, blueberry juice and then I'll get a couple of gallons of other juices too, like, uh, blackberry juice, some currant, um, a little bit of cranberry, uh, and a couple of other, you know, juice flavors in there into it to give it some depth and complexity. It's while, while blueberries are great themselves, it's always nice to get a little bit of added flavor to give it a boost. Okay. So, um, crush up your fruit, get it into your fermenter. If you got sufficient amount of fruit to, you know, to, to get a fermentation going with the fruit in there, like you would with a grape must or make like a fruit must or a fruit wine must. That's fine too, and then just add your honey into it till you get up to the level you want. If you're going to be working with like, you know, 20, 30 pounds, um, supplement with your juice, um, check your, your acidity and check your, uh, um, sweetness, you know, check the gravity, check the pH, make sure that it's going to be habitable for your yeast, uh, same way if you're just using the, the blueberries crushed up and then the juice from the blueberries is your must along with the honey. Uh, always check your pH and the sugar level. Supplement with honey to bring it up to the level that you want, a little bit higher, and uh, pitch your yeast and then start uh, the countdown on fermentation managing. Um, early on, um, you know, you want to make sure that when you rehydrate your yeast, you're using you know, whatever um, yeast rehydration formula the manufacturer recommends for Lalamon yeast, uh, it's going to be go firm. Um, other yeast uh, either do or don't recommend uh, rehydration, uh, so be sure to follow their instructions. Um, you know, figure out what your target gravity is going to be and what your potential alcohol is going to be. Um, read up on your yeast to find out if it needs a lot of nutrient. If it does supplement your must to, to bring it up to uh, the level of uh, nitrogen that you're going to need in order to get things going. You usually do that with DAP early on. Um, and put your recipe together. Hey, I'm going to use this much blueberry. I'm going to use this much juice or water. This is the yeast I'm going to use. This is the honey I'm going to use. And, and write that all out and get your steps down, you know. Number one, I'm going to go ahead and put, you know, I'm using a combination. I'm just going to use this as an example now. Um, I'm going to do a combination of fruit and juice. So I know how much juice I've got. 
I'm going to say that's going to be, you know, X number of gallons of juice. I'm going to go ahead and put that right into my fermentation vessel. I'm going to take a reading on that right away. Check the specific gravity or bricks. Check the pH. And I'll make, I won't make any adjustments to that yet because I know I'm going to be adding fruit and that's going to carry a lot more acid and tannin and some additional sugar as well. So I'll crush up my fruit. I'll get it in the mix there. And I'll stir that up till it's well mixed. And then I'll take another reading. Um, a lot of times you'll need to let that settle so some of the solids can settle out so you get an accurate reading if you're using a hydrometer. And so it's not too turbid. Uh, if you're using a refractometer to measure the sugar level, you know, via the bricks refractometer. Um, so you mix up your musk, you take your readings, you adjust as necessary, and then it's time to go ahead and rehydrate the yeast. Um, or if you're using fresh fruit, um, one of the things that I'd recommend is taking a look at something uh, in the way of enzymes. Um, I use the Lalamond enzymes for winemaking and I also use it when I'm doing fresh fruit meat as well. Uh, it helps break down the skin. It helps you get to that pulp, but, uh, you know, kind of uh, frees up the tannin and acid in the skin and the flavors and the colors and everything as well. And uh, you really, you really do a good job of utilizing everything that's in that skin uh, and getting it into your meat, which is a great thing, especially if you want to uh, represent the, the fruit as best you can. So if you're going to use a fermentation enzyme, that goes in before you actually pitch your yeast. So you, that usually wants like a 24-hour lead time. So you put your enzyme in, um, get it into a nice cool place. Um, you can even drop some uh, dry ice over the top of it um, to just, you know, keep cool while the enzyme does its work. And then uh, over the, uh, the next day, uh, bring it back up to temperature. Um, get it moving around a little bit, make your supplementation with that, um, then go ahead and put your yeast into it. Um, wait till you see activity and then go ahead and do a small dose. I'd say uh, one gram per gallon of gofern. Uh, for me, K, excuse me. And uh, okay. then, start, then start monitoring. Keep checking your temperature, your pH, and your sugar level on a regular basis, move that around three or four times a day if you can. Um, by moving around, I mean stir it. Um, you, know, if, you, know, you can use a long-handled stir spoon or a leaf stir. Don't get, don't get carried away with the leaf stir. That thing will explode right out of the fermenter at you. <laughs> yeah, I can, you know, I can speak to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a great way to paint and, your walls purple. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. And uh, then the other thing is that you're going to want to uh, just make sure that your ambient temperature in the house and, you know, wherever you've got your mead is uh, being controlled as well because that will influence the overall temperature, you know, in your vessel. Um, so, you know, make sure that you're checking the temperature, not only of the must, but your outside temperature. And, you know, if, if need be, then you know, find a way to cool the area down. If it's during winter time, it makes it a little bit easier to do that. But then heating becomes a problem in certain parts of the country. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to adjudicate, you know, what you've got. Um, so now we've got the fruit, the juice, the honey, the yeast, 
um, the enzymes and the things in the fermenter now, and you're checking it daily to make sure that, you know, you're seeing active fermentation. Um, you've supplemented with one shot of, uh, of, uh, fermented K. Um, generally melomels will move very quickly. I've had, um, a melomel go from actually my cherry sizer, as a matter of fact, go from 1.140 all the way down to, you know, 1.005 in five days. So, wow. it's, yeah, it, they can move and they can move real fast. So, you know, you want to stay on top of them or they can get out of hand real quickly, especially if you don't want it to go dry. Uh, that one I was shooting for dry anyhow. I kind of like my, a dry cherry sizer. Um, a lot of people make them the sweet side, and I think that's great. But I was using uh, the uh, the tart cherries in this one, and I wanted it to be nice and tart and crisp, kind of like on the order of a Chablis, except with the cherry influence to it. Mm. So it turned out right. But if you if you oh, you know, I'll check it tonight. And, uh, <laughs> it, may, it may get out. It may get out of hand. So you have to be careful when you're working with fruit because yeast really loves, you know, fruit and all of the nutrients that fruit brings, uh, especially with the, you know, juices that are coming from it. And if you're supplementing with juice, you also have to keep an eye on it. And again, if you're going to use juice, make sure you buy stuff that has no preservative. Read the label once, set it down, come back to it, read it again before you buy it. Look for any, you know, like I said, sorbic acid or um, any kind of sodium benzoate, any kind of preservative. If it says something that you can't pronounce super easily as a preservative, set it down and move on. Yeah. Um, to, just a safe way to approach it. So that, that'd be the way that I'd approach making a blueberry melomel. Um, do I do mine like that every time? No, it depends on what's available to me. If I've got fresh fruit, if I've got, you know, frozen fruit, if I've got, um, you know, dried fruit or if I'm supplementing with fruit juice, I've even made it with nothing but juice and they turn out really, really good too. In that case, I definitely mix up types of juices that I'm using. I'll, I'll, you know, make it predominantly blueberry juice, but I'll add everything from cherry and currant to blackberry and uh, even prune juice and pomegranate juice. Okay. So it's a little what? going on. Yeah. I, I'm, I love a good blueberry mill, and I've had some go well and some not so much. You know, it just depends on, well, mainly it was when I was learning. But um, one of the things that popped up for me when earlier when you were talking about uh, honey and choosing your honey, what about like a blueberry varietal honey? Have you worked with that? And well, I'm assuming yeah, the answer blueberry to that honey is yes, great. you have, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blueberry honey works great with it. So does blackberry honey. Just about any kind of uh, berry honey will work pretty well with it. I think. Like I said, I haven't run into too many honeys other than the, the big dark ones, you know, like avocado, pecan, um, western buckwheat, eastern buckwheat. I would never make a blueberry mail from. No. Uh, unless I was at, yeah. Um, so, yeah, those all work fine. I've never done one with a raspberry honey, although I've been curious about it. And, uh, you know, I've never, I've never done 
shoes are buried that's out there that are good shoes and uh, um, currents. Uh, I've never, I've never really done a. Uh, I haven't ever really seen any current um, hunting. So. Yeah, I mean, seems to be fairly easy to come by. At least that's been my experience, and at least on, I don't know how they, you know, how. I'm assuming California has a lot of blueberry production, but here blueberries are a big deal in the mid-Atlantic area, and there are like vast blueberry farms and stuff. So they really can get a pretty good blueberry varietal. Yeah, and we get a lot of it out here on the West Coast here as well, all the way from Washington, Oregon, or the Maine, you know, blueberry states to, uh, you know, Northern California, we'll see it here. And there's a lot of, uh, blueberry fields in Northern California and, and driving up to Northern California as well. So, uh, it's, a, it's become a big cash crop since blueberries have become so popular. Okay. What are some of the, is there, is there, um, peculiarities of blueberry mills that you run into that you would warn people about? Yeah, um, you know, I, I alluded to it before, but I'll mention it specifically here. Watch the pH like a hawk. Um, if you're using a yeast that isn't particularly virile in a, in a high acid environment, then you're going to want to keep an eye on it. Um, I saw something posted on the uh, professional mead makers group, I think it was, um, on Facebook, and I was talking about their... Uh, their pH was down below three. It was like a 2.8, 2.6, something like that. And oh, I saw that one. Long. Yeah. Yeah. You got to bring your pH up. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely the case. Um, if the, if the fermentation is already established and active, um, you'll see a number of different yeasts that'll, that'll perform fine as it drops below two. And then it'll come back up as the fermentation ends. But if you're trying to establish a fermentation and the pH is down at 2.8, you know, 2.7, somewhere around in there, it's going to be kind of hard for that yeast to take off. So that's when you need to buffer, bring that, bring the uh, pH up so the uh, fermentation can get established. And then if it runs below that, you can always, you know, buffer if you really need to. Or if you're using a yeast like DV10 or EC1118, which are both really good in high acid environments since they used to make champagne, um, mm-hmm. then they'll just keep chugging along. Uh, K1B will also handle that kind of uh, acidity very well. But uh, it's it's just something to be very aware of because if you're using, you know, something like, uh, you know, RC212 or D47 or one of the other yeast that isn't particularly acid tolerant, you'll, you'll really need to uh, keep an eye on it. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's something that that occurred to me because I ran into that in several of mine. What would you recommend yeast wise if a person's going for you know dry, semi, or sweet? Do you have favorites that you would recommend? I know you well, mentioned a number of different well, yeast, you know, but right. Yeah, I've always been a fan of RC two twelve and. Uh, the uh, uh, blueberry melanols. Uh, I like the flavor that it brings. You know, they, they use it in Pinot Noir um, for uh, burgundy fermentations. 
L2225 is another good one for that. It, it, it brings out that nice acid and tannin that the blueberries have along with that nice blueberry kind of like funky kind of character that it gets. Um, um, DV10 works great with it. K1B1116 works great with it. Um, trying to think of any others that I've really done frequently, but RC212 is usually the use that I use with the, with blueberry. Okay. And that would be no matter where you want your residual sweetness to land, that's just your, that's the one that you like best for working with the, the blueberries themselves. Yeah. I, and this is just personal preference. I like my blueberry melomels to be, you know, semi sweet to dry or semi dry. Um, I like them to be crisp and acidic. Um, I like them to be clean with, um, a, uh, a fair amount of body, but not uh, glyceric or, or super, super round. I'm looking for a crisp, clean, almost refreshing kind of uh, blueberry. If I want to make a dessert blueberry or something like that, then I'm switching the yeast that I'm using and, and the whole approach to, you know, putting it together. Um, and I'm, I'm going with D21 um, or D80 or a combination, a mixture of D21 and D80. D80 for that uh, acid and D21 for that angular tannin and nice round glyceric mouthfeel. Okay. Now I can, I can hear the ears pricking up as people are listening to this out there going, you can mix your yeasts. Really? (laughs) Well, no, no, you don't mix your yeast. I'm just talking about doing two, two fermentations in the back of, a batch of D21 and a batch of D80. And if, if you really want to, you can mix your yeast too. You can start out with one yeast and, and finish with another yeast. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had varying degrees of success with that. There's some people that do it all the time. Um, and I don't like what I've made with that as much as I like just going with a straight single yeast strain, whichever it's going to be, yeah. and then blending them. So if I have to do two batches to get what I want, you know, a batch with you know, yeast A and a batch with yeast B, then that's what I'll do. Uh, um, you know, you also have to be careful um, when you're matching up yeast. A lot of people aren't aware that, you know, some yeast have an active kill factor. Um, yeasts are going to be, you know, most commercial strains are either going to be kill factor neutral, kill factor active, or kill factor sensitive. If they're kill factor sensitive and you're mixing it with a kill factor active, then you're not going to have a super successful fermentation with that second yeast strain. Okay. So, so they basically neutral. are going to go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. If it's, if it's neutral, then it's, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's not going to be affected by the kill strain. If you get two of them in there that both have active kill factors, um, you know, then you have to take a step back and look at which kill factor they have. <laughs> using, you know, there's, there's five, there's K1 through K5, and there's certain kill factors that conflict, certain kill factors that are kind of like unaware of each other and others that are neutral and some that are sensitive to other kill factors. So you have to be aware of that too. So when you're mixing yeast, there's a lot of things to be aware of. Okay. Yeah, I think just when you said they, the way they came out, I think that's probably what a lot of people would think. So I wanted to, you know, get you talking about that. And my my brain went to your usual statement of if you can make one batch, make two. <laughs> you 
Yeah. I'm a big fan of making double batches of stuff because, you know, I'll go one sweet and one dry, and that way if I don't like the way that either one of them turned out, there's going to be a happy medium in there somewhere, and I'll still have yeah. enough left over in each of the other batches to turn know to use that to supplement other batches or to either sweeten it up or dry it down okay that's that's pretty neat i like that um you know there's a lot of different directions you can go with this one of the things that i've done um and i've done this with uh, cherry mills as well is i threw a handful of malab in during the end like the last 15 to 20 percent of the primary ferment and yeah. uh, make sure you and, explain you explain to people what Malab actually is because a lot of people don't right, know yeah. that shape, but yeah, yeah. Well, Malab, of, yeah. I mean, you know this, of course, but Malab, guys, and it's spelled M A H L A B, is uh, denatured cherry pits that have been crushed. Denatured means they removed the. Is, is, I can remember. Is it arsenic or in in cherry pits or is cyanide. it cyanide? Cyanide, yeah, I yeah. always yeah, can never. Anyway, they're poisonous, yeah. <laughs> um, but they've they've basically denatured and took the ick out of them, and they're very popular as a condiment in Middle Eastern cooking. But I discovered purely by accident, um, and and just because I was screwing around with a cherry mead, that if that, that it lends a sort of, it's a nutty character. It 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 pops up the body a bit. And adds a, a totally different level of complexity to the meat. But in the end, what happened was when I threw the malab into the cherry meat, and I did, tried it again with the blueberry one that I made a couple of years later, I got basically it added crust. <laughs> so you got yeah. you got what what tasted like a blueberry pie, which for me was pretty awesome. I'm and you and I, you and I come at come at mead from different directions as far as taste. You know, taste profiles are concerned. I like my semi-sweet, but I got a semi-sweet re- blueberry pie mel that just was amazing to me. Yeah, that sounds great. I uh, yeah, one of the other reasons that I, I forgot to mention this is that I come at uh, a blueberry mellow mel to semi-dry to dry or semi-sweet to semi-dry is that a lot of times I like to uh, sparkle those. So Ooh, you know, nice. sparkling semi-dry and that's the refreshing portion that I was getting to and I didn't elaborate on that. So I might as well now it's just real simple. You know, you get it down there to where it's low in sugar and um, a nice semi-dry to semi-sweet blueberry mellow mel that's carbonated, uh, whether naturally in the bottle via method champona or uh, forced carbonation. Uh, they both taste really great. Uh, it's great in summertime, and it goes over great with uh, you know the party crowd. So, yeah, I've, I've actually taken taken a five gallon uh, um, um, corny keg to parties and just had it blow completely like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Done. There were a lot of happy people there too. So, oh yeah. <laughs> Did you put the big bottle of aspirin on the top for the ones that overindulged? <laughs> Hell no. They drank all my mead. They deserve what they get. <laughs> yeah. I did that with an orange. Uh, I did that with uh, um, with uh, two five-gallon batches of orange blossom traditional. And it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't sparkled, but I just basically had the buckets with the spigots at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so I, I set him up on it. Yeah, it was an outdoor party. So I set him on the picnic table, pulled the airlock so there was air exchange capability as they, you know, filled their cups, set a stack of cups on one side, a big bottle of aspirin on the top, and went into the building to go get a plate of food, came out, and they were empty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, that fast. It was like, you know, a, a plague of locusts descended upon my meat and drank it all. So, yeah, that's that's cool, yeah. though. It, for somebody who's, okay, you'd mentioned with the sparkling it, going the route of method champenois versus uh, force carbonation using a corny keg. Um, what would you recommend for somebody who's just getting into making males and, and Dougalberry Mills, you know, as far as the best way for them to do it. Because, of course, we see a lot of reports of bottle bombs and whatnot. So, Yeah, my, my advice would be real simple, and that's to, to learn how to make dry blueberry melomels or semi-dry blueberry melomels until you can make them over and over and over again before you attempt to sparkle it. Because you're going to need, number one, you're going to need experience with what you're making. And number two, before you add that second dose of sugar and try to re-ferment in the bottle, you're going to need to know, you know, where your recipe is exactly, you know, when you're done, how much residual sugar is in it and how much, uh, you know, sugar you're going to be safe to add along with the, the residual yeast to go ahead and ferment in the bottle to give it, you know, like a method champenat. And you're going to have to buy bidules and crown caps um after you've given it the dosage um mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time it's, you know it's, it's more than we've got time to explain about um tonight but uh you know when you're going to be doing that there are a number of factors including the type of bottle you're going to be using and uh, you want to get a yeah. quality bottle you're going to want to invest in some safety glasses and gloves and a, and a good strong apron because if you're going to be jostling these things around and doing the uh, um, tirage um, and disgorgement uh, manually, then uh, there is a significant risk there, and it needs to be mitigated. So that's one that we can pick up on another show at some yeah. point in the future. But, uh, uh, yeah, learn to make the, the dry ones consistently, and then from the dry you can move on to um, – making a true method shampoo now sparkling blueberry or, you know, blackberry or cherry or whatever kind of melomel you want to make. Or yeah. methaglin or any kind of mean. It's just, you know, get that ba- base recipe down, you know, your basic fruit mead recipe, make it work, you know, make it work for you uh, until you can repeat it over and over and over and then you can add steps to it and that's exactly what you're doing with the method shampoo now. You're adding a couple of steps to it to sparkle it Okay. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you because I see a lot of folks talk about they're trying to sparkle and it doesn't occur to them to use champagne bottles. It doesn't, you know, they don't think about, like you say, they aren't, they're not sure about exactly where their meat is. It's, you know, it's fun. It, it, it's, it's something that a lot of people want, but not a lot of people realize there's a little bit more to it than just, you know, letting it continue to ferment. Yeah, and you have to be careful. You have to really work out your your dosage measurements for the uh, the amount of uh, either honey or you know whatever kind of fermentable sugar you're going to be adding into it, and uh, the yeast because if you, you know, if you pump too much uh, residual sugar in there for the yeast to work on, then you're going to be adding atmospheres that the bottle can't withstand, and stuff will be blowing up. Yeah, 
I've had that happen, and it's not pretty. Um, there's an in, there was a cooler yeah. we had that they they spontaneously refermented in a cooler. The bottles did, and thank God they were in a cooler, or the inside of my car would have been utterly shredded. Wow, you know, not a pretty sight, not at all. But yeah, that's and no. I think you're right. That's a question for another for another edition of the show, and we could probably do a whole show just around that. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so with the Mel's, did, I know, and cause I've, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, making, making Mel's and that. And I know that if you handle the fermentation properly, that you're going to end up with the mead that's pretty darn drinkable at the end of the ferment. So what are your recommendations specifically regarding blueberry Mel's? Would you tell somebody that Aging is going to enhance it. Is it more of a drink now? I mean, there are professional mead makers that actually say these are designed to be drunk early rather than late. So, what? Uh, right. You know, what are your thoughts around that? Well, to me, if you're fermenting from the get-go with blueberry or fruit in the in the mix in your must, or your must is primarily composed of fruit with you know, honey to bring the sugar level up and, and make it a true mead, then uh, that's going to age um, more gracefully, in my opinion, than adding juice at the end. If you're adding juice after you've racked the secondary, then that's one that you're going to want to keep cool and drink soon, to me. Okay. Um, I, like, I, I like the long-term aging of fruit in the primary better. Um uh, juice or fruit in the secondary is going to give, you know, a, a real nice fresh fruit character. And if that's what you're after, that's great. Um, I don't think it's going to age as well as fruit in the primary. Okay. So if all the fruits in the primary, you're going to have a better opportunity for it to hang out in the bottle longer. But now you're talking fruit fruit and or juice in the secondary in addition to in the primary or only in the secondary or does it matter? Well, there's a couple of ways you can go. You can go fruit in the primary and fruit in the secondary. You can go fruit in the primary with an addition of juice in the secondary. You can go juice in the primary with an addition of fruit in the secondary or halfway through the fermentation or toward the end of the fermentation. Um, Or you can go a basic mead recipe and add juice at the end of the fermentation and rack onto some additional either fruit or juice. I mean, the, yeah. the variations are myriad. You can do a bunch of different things, but at its source, you're either going to have a basic mead with fruit added at the end, you're going to have a fruit mead with nothing added at the end, or you're going to have a fruit mead with fruit addition or juice addition at the end. Uh, those would be your basic categories. Um, okay. The the basic fruit mead with nothing added, I think, has uh, potential to age longer than a basic mead with fruit added at the end, or juice added at the end, or a fruit mead with fruit in the primary and either fruit or juice added at the end. Okay, and I know you've got there's you've got at least two blueberry recipes in the patron sections on the forums, I believe. Yeah, I probably do. Yeah, I know you. You have yeah. you have one that's yeah. like the ultimate go to town. 
you never want you know this this is the last mead you make before you die blueberry mead in there that's actually on my list of what i want to make if i ever manage to be around when blueberry season happens around here and be able to get my as much as i want but yeah i remember you had one in there that's like a you know like a uber amazing super ultra blueberry mead yeah one of those turns out pretty good I mean, really good, but uh, I would say pretty good because it's good, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's so many variations. I mean, we can sit here and talk for, like, all night long about blueberry or any kind of fruit mead uh, variations you can make on it. You can make, you know, little additions of fruit, you know, throughout the fermentation. You can, like, you know, you can make little additions of juice. You can put fruit in the primary. You can add, you know, your nutrient and add your juice again to bring your sugar level back up. And it's, you know, that all goes back to that whole step feeding thing where, you know, feeding the must different things throughout the course of the fermentation. Yeah. So you're going to get different results. And so I, I like to keep it kind of simple if I can, as far as the, the fermentation lifespan. And that's just, you know, you know, get the mead going, make your additions, um, run it through the end, make your adjustments, rack it, age it, bottle it, drink it. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I just had a Ferris Bueller moment. <laughs> oh, melomels move fast. Drink them while you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so I think that's too, you know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It's, the other thing is, too, I, I haven't been making as many melomels in the past several years as I used to because one of the things that I've noticed is they're expensive as hell to make. Yeah. You know, you get a lot <laughs> yeah. of food, you know, and you get a you know, top-quality honey to go with it. You're sinking a metric buttload of cash into it, and your boozy friends come over, and it's gone in a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That so, gives you the whole you're sitting there at the house going, Well, I could take this case of blueberry mel with me to the party, but damn, those guys won't appreciate it. I think I'll leave it at home. That's right. You're getting the price club honey, baby. Traditional. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's always good to have those, you know, to have a couple of standby buckets of, of orange blossom, you know, semi sweet traditional that you can just grab and go. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Take it, they're going to enjoy it just as much. Hey, if you want to impress somebody, throw a stinking uh, quill of uh, Ceylon cinnamon into it, you know, for a week before you take it over there and then fish it out. Cheap man's mouth. <laughs> Quickie, up-level uh, up your, uh, your mead before you go. Yeah. I've, you know, I've actually even taken just like uh, some traditionals that I've made and uh, added some uh, um, vanilla extract to them before that would be I take good. off and drop a little bit of that into them. Yeah, it tastes fine. Yeah. And, uh, and people that you know that have that really like that kind of thing, you know, you get over there and they've got that quote unquote moonshine, flavored moonshine, and they'll have like apple pie moonshine and cherry moonshine and all this. It's like, it's, Number one, it's not really moonshine, and number two, the the fruit flavors um, are you know pretty much imitation fruit flavors. But hey, if they like that kind of thing, why not a meat yeah. with a little bit of uh, vanilla extract in it? 
Yeah. Yeah, poor man's vanilla smell. Vanilla meth. There we go. <laughs> Get that out of there, right? It, well, I mean, and, you know, it's, it, 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 to a certain extent, it's like, quote unquote, maybe cheating a little bit. But, I mean, you can just pump things up a little, too. It doesn't really hurt anything. Yeah, and see, that's the other thing, too, is, you know, now that everybody has access to bottle fillers and bottle fillers that have cartridge filters or or different kinds of filters attached to them. I, I've, mm-hmm. you know, judged it at several different competitions where it's obvious to me, maybe not everybody else at the table, but it's obvious to me that people are taking um, a basic, you know, semi-sweet mead recipe and adding raspberry tea or strawberry kiwi or some other kind of, you know, Snapple product or other product um, to the to the mead just before they bottle it, and then they've got this really brightly fruit-flavored mead. And it's like, mm-hmm. really? You know, it's it's obvious to me when people are doing that, but, you know, there's there's other judges at the table that, that you know, uh, either aren't seeing it or just, you know, like it, and so what? Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, from a judging want to make that kind of mistake, yeah. yeah. Yeah, from a sensory perspective, it, it's... It's pretty obvious, but from um, you know, from uh, a crowd pleasing aspect, hey, who's to say which one is better, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's just for you and your buds to drink and and it works for everybody, hey, I'm all for that. More mead is good mead. So you know, it's, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, I love that. You know, I mean, the the big thing all y'all out there listening should pull from this is. Practice makes perfect. Um, you could do everything Pete just said and still get a shitty mead, but practice is what you got to do. I mean, it's you have to pay attention. You have to manage your ferment. You have to learn the vagaries of your particular mead-making environment because it is different. I mean, Pete's mead-making environment in Southern California in his fancy up-level Meadery in a garage, garage. <laughs> it's a whole, it's a whole different environment than my, um, you know, overheated, over, you know, over, um, humidified environment in in the southeast. And I work, you know, in my kitchen. I don't have a dedicated space, and and haven't, you know, created a dedicated space. For one, I don't have a garage. So, but, you know, it's a totally different environment. So we can do exactly the same things and get a different mead. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing to to pull into perspective, too, is that, uh, you know, not only do you have different environments and different equipment and everything, but, uh, you know, the the types of honey that you're going to be using, the types of fruit that you're getting are going to be different, too. And, you know, East Coast and West Coast, you know, there's a, there's mm-hmm. a difference in, you know, California orange blossom and Florida orange blossom. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different, a lot of different things out there, um, that, that make a difference. And so while, you know, like you said that, you know, practice makes perfect. And, and I politely always disagree with anybody that makes that statement because if you okay. keep practicing, if you keep practicing mistakes, you're not going to ever get perfect. Yet. Perfect practice. Good point. Perfect. There you go. Okay. And, and, and yeah, it was basically the more you make me using good practices, best practices, the better your mead's going to be. Absolutely right. 
So with that, I think I think we've you know delved pretty deeply into the whys and wherefores of blueberry melomels. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think we're we hit the points. Uh, if anybody's confused about all that, uh, then uh, I'll have to take a step back and listen to the show again so I can actually repeat back what I said. <laughs> and guys, don't be afraid to come to the forum and, you know, listen to this, come to the forum and, you know, bring the things that you have questions about. And if you're not a patron already, you can take advantage of becoming a patron because uh, there are some pretty awesome blueberry meads in the recipe section there that you can take advantage of that will give you the specs of a good mead for you to practice your best practices on and learn to make a really awesome one. So, right. You know, check it out. Yeah. Go with, and go, go with what we know works. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things I was going to say too, is we've been getting some really good questions. I, I went through a slew of questions over the last week and kind of like, you know, sent them off to Vicky and said, uh, nope, 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 nope. If you're going to be, you know, submitting a question, let's, let's get a question that's really going to be beneficial to everybody. If I've, you know, equipment questions and, you know, sanitization questions and, and things like, uh, you know, if I'm going to submit a question, if I'm going to submit a, uh, a need to a competition, you know, what should I do? Those are all great, but those are kind of questions that people in the forum uh, would probably benefit more from than than listening to here on the air. Get into some, let's get into the meat of either mead making or you know types of mead making and the whole idea of uh, putting together something or, or taking your your mead making game to the next level kind of thing and, and get some of those really in depth questions. Uh, there's some of them still out there, and we you know we we still need to. Uh, catch up from our time off, but, uh, we'll, we'll burrow through those as quickly as we can. So just be patient. We'll eventually get to the, to the real meaty questions. Uh, some of the other stuff we'll, we'll probably, you know, refer back and say, Hey, you know, this is one to ask on the forum. If you're, you know, having yeah. trouble with, uh, you know, cleaning out a, a carboy or, or, uh, you know, finding out, uh, you know, what it does, you know, the, is a, a one month need really a good need? You know, those are kind of questions you need to talk to people that make them over and over and over. I don't make short needs very often, if yeah. at all. And so I'm, I'm not a subject matter expert on that. And, uh, uh, you're going to find better advice from folks on the forums who actually make that kind of stuff a lot or are, are uh, interested in making that kind of thing. It's, it's never really held my attention any longer than it takes to make that need. So, yeah. Um, I have a short attention span. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you got to do something, right? So, all right. Well, guys, yeah. that is um, Blueberry Melomel 101. And uh, I'm sure we'll be getting back into this and not just Blueberry Mel's, but just Mel's in general and best practices. That might be something that we'll tackle as we go forward and creating some parameters for you guys to work with and creating a really yeah. super awesome Melomel, you know. Yeah, one last quick word on that. That's Blueberry 101, according to Oscar. There are many different ways to do it. That's just the way that I approach it and my kind of, quote, unquote, you know, blueberry mead philosophy. Right. <laughs> doesn't doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. It's just me. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, you have some you have some good knowledge you're drawing from, and that makes it a little easier for folks that haven't developed a you know a habit and a method around what they're doing. So it's a good place to be, a good place to start. So there you That's go, blueberries, you blueberry, yeah, blueberry mel, according to Oscar. <laughs> There you go. So, all right. <laughs> on Blueberry Hill. Uh, all right. So, all right. Well, I'll wind you up and let you go, and we'll talk to you next week. All righty. See you folks soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. All right. And we are back live here on Got Me Live. Kind of a lengthy session with Ask Oscar talking about uh, melomels, blueberry melomels, berry melomels in general, Vicky. And uh, Matt, uh, you know, just a lot of good information out of these Ask Oscar sessions. Yeah, that one went way in depth, which was good, but it was also long. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair warning, guys, that one, uh, for those of you that are listening to this uh, in podcast format after the fact, it's 55 minutes, but I think it's well worth it. <laughs> and uh, we've got, uh, we had kind of a party going on here uh, during the Ask Oscar. We just uh, filled the room with a whole lot of friends. David Webb uh, joined us uh, in the middle of the Ask Oscar uh, uh, segment there, along with uh, Chris, uh, who uh, I guess you both called in before we went to the Ask Oscar, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah dude. So uh, we've got Doctor Chris and we've got David uh, joining us here. Doctor David at Doctor Doctor David. David. Yeah, Doctor uh, Doctor David is a veterinarian, and Doctor Chris is a cardiologist. Are you? No, he's a cardiothoracic surgeon. Oh, oh cardiothoracic surgeon. Yes, yeah, he cut he cuts people open. He's a so. chest cracker. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so as we uh, wrap the show here tonight, uh, we've got a couple of mentions uh, we want to get out of the way, uh, and I'm glad David Webb is here with us because uh, you know before we went on our hiatus, uh, we kept uh, plugging the meat fest down in Texas. Uh, this was down in uh, Doom Brunfels, uh, Texas, David, if I remember correctly. And uh, can you briefly go over some of the results for us and uh, tell us how, how it went? Well, the fest, the fest was good. It was a nice, sunny day. Uh, it was in a, right by New Braunfels in a town called Green. And um, it was uh, there were 130 entries this year as opposed to about 88 last year. Wow, that's it's great. Become part of, it's become part of the Lone Star Circuit now, which uh, Lone Star Circuit is just a, an arrangement of uh, the different homebrew competitions and the members, they win points for all their entries and their awards. And at the end of the year, someone gets declared the uh, homebrewer of the year in Texas. And uh, Meat Fest is now part of that, so the entries and the competition has gone up, which is good because it's going to promote meat even more. Yeah. And uh, and there was about there's about twelve a total of twelve categories and subcategories and all that, you know, covering everything from traditional to melomel to metheglins, and then uh, you got your historical braggots, your experimentals and stuff like that. We call and, those uh, we call those weirdo mills. Yeah, <laughs> at the Mazer Cup, that's the, the experimentals. That's the uh, let's see if I can make a meat out of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
There's a couple of names, uh, David, that kind of pop out on the uh, on the results here. Uh, uh, Cindy uh, Oberlin and Jeff Oberlin, and then uh, Terry Noseworthy. Yeah, Terry Noseworthy. I think every year the Mead Fest, he's taken home some medals. Uh, Cindy and Jeff Oberlin, I haven't met them. They did well at this fest as well. And Jeff got the best of show with his Hidden Dragon, which is Norn Blossom Honey with blackberries and raspberries. Oh. Nice. Wow, that sounds good. And then it'd be, f- be fun to see if some of those also turn up at the Mazer Cup um, yeah, next spring if they haven't drunk at all, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that'd be that'd be year, really this cool. This year, I entered a bunch of stuff I've never done before, so I mainly entered to see if I was even close to the mark. I uh, didn't have any award winners this year, but my brother-in-law got a silver with his uh, ginger peppercorn. Nice. <clears throat> That's an interesting combination. Very nice. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. Uh, he's only got one bottle left, so we're going to hang the metal on it and never open it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 20 years from now when your kids are going off to college. you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm storing his stuff because he's getting transferred to Singapore, so it's a good thing I saw that he won the medal or I might have already drank that one. Oh, uh, yeah. Singapore. And, uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see that the uh, results get posted up in the uh, Got Me forum over there. Uh, for everybody to see and i'm really uh, yeah i mean david feel free to uh, put one in the competition section on the forum just put a link out to it so people can see that it's there okay yeah i'll probably do that tomorrow then yeah please do i mean we want to we want to you know let people know where they can enter their means that's a good thing one of the things i've got to do is get a new calendar package up so all of the mean uh, competitions can get listed i um yeah. and the was also, i think has been the fourth year of it and uh you know, uh, Texas, I think, has uh, six or seven commercial meteries at this point. Yeah, and that's a good thing because 10 years ago they didn't have any, so that's great. Yeah, they did, but there's uh, several Texans on the Mead Forum, and I, yeah, I don't know the real names. I just know them by username, but uh, I hope to see them start entering the Mead Fest in the future if they're nice. not already doing it. Yeah. Uh, something else that, uh, you know, cruising through the forum, I'm always looking for stuff to uh, bring into the show and talk about, uh, especially during the wrap-ups uh, uh, period here, uh, was cruising through the patron side of the forum, looking through the recipes, and lo and behold, uh, David has a recipe up there posted in the, uh, in the, res- in the patron side of the, of the forum uh, for a cherry Russian melomel, it's won a gold medal at the Texas Mead Fest in 2014 and uh, made it to the medal round of the Mazer Cup. So uh, get your patron access, 25 bucks a year. Get in there, take a look at David's recipe. Thank you, David, for sharing that uh, with the uh, folks at gotmead.com. Yeah, definitely. No problem. I made eight gallons this year because that's one I just like to drink. It sounds it sounds like it'd be. I'm a big fan of Cherry Mills, so yeah. Um, bring some extra if you come out to the Mazer Cup next spring. I'd love to try it when I know what it is I'm tasting. I might have actually judged it last year. I don't know, but yeah. it'd be it's nice to drink the, it when uh, I know herbs. what it is. You know, <laughs> couple of complex melomel with all the herbs and spices. Oh, those are those are even more fun couple other uh, mentions we want to make uh, before we end the show here. Uh, I'm, I'm always I'm I'm starting to look into these competitions because Oscar has got me. Uh, well, this is a whole other ball game. Uh, he, he's really got me into this competition thing now. But uh, helps to make better uh, mead. 
Yeah, well, I'm, you know, uh, I, I'll, I'll talk about that on the next show. Uh, but uh, the Domrus Cup uh, coming up yep. uh, is uh, entry fee is seven bucks. The entry deadline is January 27th, 2016. Competition date is February 6th, 2016. Uh, all I could get was a phone number for contact, but uh, that number is 843 Five four zero nine zero two two eight four three five four zero nine zero two two, and I did have the pleasure of talking to Mike Tripka today on the phone. You can contact him at Mike underscore Tripka T R I P K A at yahoo dot com. He'll be glad to get you all the information you need to know about this, uh, the Dahmer's Cup, and the uh, uh, Valhalla, which is actually closing. Uh, registration is closing this Saturday, so it may be a little late to get in on that one. But that one's being held at Bistro on the Bridge at 210 Bridge Street in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, Saturday, October 24th, 2015 at 10 a.m. So, uh, And I'm going to stay uh, with Mike, and uh, hopefully I can uh, get some results from him. We'll share those on the on the show. Uh, and then the Winemaker International Amateur Wine Competition is also coming up. Entries need to be submitted by March 11th, 2016. And because we're running short, we'll put all of this information in the Gottmead forum and uh, make sure that uh, you've got access to it. And uh, I promise. Well, to- well and, and we've got a calendar on Gottmead, too. So if you have yeah. or know of a mead competition, please send it to me at gotmead at gotmead.com. And I will put it on the calendar. So, you know, I want to be able to get a list of all the mead competitions so people know where to find them. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, shout out to uh, Mike Tripka, uh, you know, tonight. Uh, thanks for uh, the chat this afternoon, Mike. Really appreciated it. And uh, he's, he's uh, going to try to keep me abreast of what's going on with uh, a couple of competitions that are going on here. And like I said, we'll. We'll get that information over to gotmead.com for sure. Uh, David and Chris, thanks for joining us tonight, uh, late night here on Got Mead Live. Of course, thanks to Mike Fall, uh, Vicky and AJ. What an awesome night. Uh, kind of a long night, but hey, you know what? It's all about having fun, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and the longer the yep. night is, the more mead you can drink. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I've almost I've almost killed the chocolate covered cherry mead from uh, Wild Blossom, so it won't be it won't be leering at me from the refrigerator anymore. There you go. I'm up anyway, babysitting barbecue. So yeah, I can't. Is this like one of those all nighter barbecue nights, Chris, or what? Uh, yeah, it's gonna smoke about 16, 18 hours. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that's it's better then. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Doing yeah. a pig cooking. <laughs> We, do they, do they right. call it a pig? Do they call it a pig picking down there? Pig picking? Yeah, that's what we call it. It's, it's a pig, pig in the ground. There you go. Oh, in All the ground. Right. Okay. All right. For the few, for the few hangers on that uh, we still have with us, uh, we're going to call it a night here on God Me Life. Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll be back at you next week at 9 p.m. on Tuesday night. So uh, be looking for information in the forum and on the uh, the uh, Facebook page. Uh, so we'll see you next week. All right. Good night, everybody. everybody. Next week. Later on. Out here.